Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. I'm Rocky, and this is Eric. Yo. Indeed. Today, for our little pre-show test kind of thing, uh, before we get into the Q&A, we're going to do a little beer taste. Um, we picked the top-selling lager from the UK. We picked the top-selling lager from the US. Unfortunately, we figured out that is a very unfair fight because it's harp versus Bud Light. So, to make it a little bit more of a fair fight, we picked a Pennsylvania brewery, the oldest running brewery in America, Yingling Lager. Um, for everyone in Pennsylvania and down the eastern seaboard, effectively. Yeah. Um, Yingling Lager, the first, you know, Yingling is the first name of lager or something is their tagline. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a, it's the bog standard beer outside of Bud Light that you get in the bar. It's just, yeah, give me a lager. And I give you Yingling Lager. Mm -hmm. So, that's what we're doing. So, do you have one that you want to start with? Um, I was thinking we start with the Yingling, actually. I was gonna start. say the Bud Light. You wanna start with the Bud I, I think that's poisoning your palate, don't you think? I think we'll be able to wash the taste out of our mouths <laughs> with the other beer. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, that was my plan. Okay, okay. okay. Right. So, that being said. We got, uh, we got. Exhibit A. And exhibit, this exhibit, I will say, I apologize, we are drinking Lagers from a Pilsner, Pilsner glass. glasses. Period. It is what it is. Sorry, guys. That's what you get. Because these are the clean glasses that we had. So. I blame the construction. Exactly. Buildings are in construction, so all of our bar equipment is actually in storage right now. Yes. Um, so, here's get the nice get the nice sound here. There you go. Mac, mm, off camera, is spud. also uh, uh, getting his Bud Light prepared. Get, get a nice... Nice thick head I'm, on my bun right here. I'm not drinking that much. <laughs> All right. I'll take a bathroom I'll pour break a little bit less for show. Eric's. Yeah, I don't want to, you know. There you go. Is that one more than that? Uh, no. It's Bud no, Light, so no. I do okay. not. All right. <laughs> that is all the Bud Light Eric is going to drink. Now okay. we wait five minutes for the head to go down? Nah. Okay. Head gives it a little bit of uh, do, 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 aroma, you know, a good nose to it. If good nose to it. <laughs> um, Color-wise, I'm noticing it is one step above clear. Um, it's light, Rocky. It's it is. It light. is light. It light. is light. Yes. I can't believe we're treating this seriously. Okay. It's, it's Bud not, Light. Yeah. Um, I'm not even gonna say. I don't want to say slancha for Bud Bud Light. So okay. Well, cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Mac. foamy. Yep. It's got a lot of water taste. Yep. Well, it it is brewed with malt and hops, ratio different from the Budweiser, and it's distinctively crisp taste and fewer calories. So there you go. Oh, I can taste the lack of calories. <laughs> I feel thinner already. <laughs> I will say it's, I'll give it the crisp. It's It's got like a, like if you bite into like a Granny Smith apple. 
Mm -hmm. The aftertaste, the kind of like the slight bitterness mm -hmm. in the back of your mouth, kind of yeah. crispness. I'll I'll give it that. I'll say crisp. I, I might I might you know batter my fries with this beer batter onion ring. You gotta you gotta batter like with something heavier though. This this actually use the, we use Guinness and stuff yeah. like that when we do that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you're like tailgating on a really 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 hot day, that's how you sell this stuff. Yeah. I think it's it's all. You know. Okay. Scale of one to ten. Mac, you. Scale of one to ten. Bud Light. I'll go four. Really? Four. 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 Mac? You're a generous man. Gives it a <laughs> score of four. Eric? Two. Two? Let's say 2.4. Okay. Two point four. Okay. I'm going. I'm going professional scoring here. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's it's if I if this is the only thing at a party, I was gonna I say I would if, still drink it. Yeah, if somebody, I would not if some, insult the host. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. I'm going to a party tomorrow and they serve this, now they're going to figure out I'm insulting them. But the I will say it's it's drinkable. It's not. Yeah, I'd say like not great. If I was at a barbecue, you know, hot, it is hot. Pennsylvania summer, hot yeah. and humid, and yeah. at a barbecue, sure. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, you know, wash down a burger with There's this. a lot of water in it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, number two. What should we oh, do next? Get clean glass. Harp or lager? I'm a little biased in this test, so um, I don't know. I almost want to say flip a coin. Okay. Because I don't want, I mean, Harp. Harp. Okay. <laughs> All right. This will do. Yeah. Well. Oh, I didn't get the, the sound effect up close enough to the mic. Damn it. That's all right. How dry I am. So what can you tell us all about right. harp, Mac? Harp, let's see. Oops. I snuck a taste. Harp was first produced in 1960 by the Guinness Company in response to a trend among drinkers in Britain and Ireland towards continental lager. Um, it continental is, meaning American lager, I'm assuming? Or I would assume I'm it means... Sure, it says continental. Probably means okay. German. I would um, think. I mean, UK continental. Brewed in St. James okay. Gate Brewery in St. James Gate, Dublin, uh, mm -hmm. is where it's okay. currently being brewed. Yep. It's the best-selling Irish lager with a bright... Pale, golden, fruity nose, crisp and clean, slightly bitter up front, smooth aftertaste. Okay. Let's see if we agree with those statements. Kind of, kind of a fruity nose. I, could, I see where they're going with that. 1960, though. That's a lot younger than I would have expected. Yep. Okay. Uh, and Bud Light was 1982, by the way. Yeah, that was the whole light beer movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and Bud. Yeah. Mac, thoughts? Um. Good. Mac, Mac, what's happened? Good. <laughs> <laughs> um. I definitely think it's. We've stepped everything up a lot drastically since the yeah, last yeah. one. Yeah. But same, same. I think similar notes, just stronger intensity. Yeah. I don't disagree. It's, 
Yeah. A lot less watery. Yeah. Obviously. Um, still has a good head to it. It has a, uh, I'm, I'm, I, you know, drinking lager as much, regular yingling lager as much as I do. Um, I know that it's gonna, I'm gonna say the same thing for that, probably even more so. It has kind of a metallic y taste kind of. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I see what you yeah. mean. Yeah, I've always a, noticed that about lager. It has a very heavy metallic it's a, it's taste. An, it's, an, it's, it's something about the acids in it, I would assume. And it's not in a can, so like that's taking that out of it. I think that, that metallic is the, the negative side of crisp. You know what I mean? It's okay. Like a, it's, a sharp, it's a sharpness to the flavor. Fair. Let's see what you're getting. I think it's, the, it's whatever hops they're using. I would think. Yeah. Okay. It's all right. Again, I would have this at a barbecue. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I'd say it's okay. I agree. Good barbecue. Good summer beer. Yeah. Um, or even fall, like an Oktoberfest kind of. You know. Yeah. Not that I'm going to be drinking Irish beer for Oktoberfest, but um, <laughs> the yeah, it's got a good warmth to it. It's not like a refreshing summer light citrus kind of mm -hmm. IPA or Corona or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just it's got a little bit of warmth mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little more. It's a little fuller, a little rounder. Okay. All right, Mac, scale of one to ten. Don't be afraid to give point something too. <laughs> Lean into it. Um, I'm gonna go on this one. I'm gonna go. It's do six. Interesting you say that. I so was gonna... 6.0. Got it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Eric. I was actually leaning towards a 6 also. I was going to say like a 6.7. Okay. Bearing in mind that I am a stout person, not a... That's not what I was going to say is like, is is that a 6.7 on your beer scale? No. Or on your lager uh, that's, scale? That, I, that's on a lager scale. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna say seven point two. Okay. It's good. It's okay. good strong beer. Okay. It's I, I enjoy lagers. I'm an IPA guy, but lager is my second choice. Um, if I'm in a party kind of thing and they have, you know, stouts or lagers, I'm gonna pick lager every day. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'd say seven point two. It's my number. Okay. I mean, it's a good solid lager. That's your number? Mm-hmm. All right, number three. Bring it back home. Yingling Lager. America's oldest brewery, continuously run. Uh, during Prohibition, they actually had, uh, they brewed non-alcoholic beer. Yep. So they are the only brew, or the oldest brewery to brew straight through Prohibition. Um, yeah, as I said, up and down the Eastern Seaboard, this is effectively the, the bog standard, you know, beer you get at a bar. You just say, give me a lager. Yingling is I think, the first I one. think you stole Max Thunder. I don't know if you had any notes. No, on, it's, uh, you're Yingling. you're you're okay. right on. It's uh, you know, of course, I think you said it's it's uh, headquarters in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, which isn't mm -hmm. too far away from us. Mm -hmm. um, it was established in 1829, uh, so it's it's famous for its rich amber color yep. and medium-bodied flavor with roasted caramel malt for a substitute for sweetness and a combination of a of cluster and cascade hops. Um, See, it's also born from a historic recipe that was resurrected in 1987. Huh. Okay. The, uh, really? Mm -hmm. Resurrected <coughs> in 87. That's interesting. The, uh, 
the one thing that the lager is definitely a darker colored beer, much more yeah, golden. I still have know, I still have some of the hot some of the harp in my glass. Is that so harp or Bud Light? This is the harp. Okay. Oh, geez. Yeah. I hate to see the Bud Light. Yeah. No, the <laughs> yeah the, the Bud was even lighter. Yeah. Yeah. They did a uh, uh, one of the lagers. Here's commercial here's, here's the Bud. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> one of uh, lagers commercial campaigns was they had a bunch of light beers on the bar, and then they had lager light, and they just slid it up next to it, and it's effectively the same color next to a really, really light beer. Mm -hmm. So you still feel mm -hmm. like a man drinking right. lager light. Right, Um Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Prost. Or, yes. Yeah. Prost, John, Slanjava, and, and yep. cheers and, and all that. And Garajki. Yes. What about your garage Yeah. Here's looking up your kill. <laughs> that's that's my family's official toast is garage And uh, everybody thinks it's Polish or something. And they ask me, what does it mean? And I say, that is a sacred object of my family. It is that with which you open the door to the garage. Yeah. Garage key. Yeah. Very nice. My Polish friends especially found it amusing. <laughs> okay, so anyway. So, lager. Yingling lager. So I, See, I, I still call it just lager. You just call it lager, it's yeah. It's so ubiquitous. Yeah. That it's yep, yep. <clears throat> Brilliant freaking branding, I'll give him that. I get a lot more, I'm just going to a lot, I get a little bit more hops, kind of bitterness yep. in this. Yep. Um, again, the metallic-y top of mouth, back of mouth kind of thing. Okay. Um, I'm not quite getting that, but... When you drink a lot of it in an evening, <laughs> you, you get more and more of that. Um, and less and less caramel. <clears throat> Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, the weird thing is, I'll say this, I don't know how this happens or why this happens, but it's an anomaly with me. Specifically in lager, Yingling Lager, if I am drinking a lot of it, you know, back back in the heyday when I could handle my drinks, um, in my <laughs> mid-twenties, mm. when we go to the bar, after the, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth one, my ears started to burn inside, like get itchy and burny inside my ear. That's I don't know. Weird. And it was only when I was drinking lager, it must have been like a chemical thing with my body's chemicals. I don't know. It's, I've heard, huh. I think I've heard of it happening to somebody else, but I've like once or twice, it's not a common thing, but it was just, I don't know. Okay. I'm really sharing too much in today's episode. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't wait to get to the actual questions. Yeah. So anyway, um, what the hell's wrong with Rocky? Is the first question. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely hopsier. Definitely more of a body. Um, for a yeah. lager, pretty heavy. It's definitely as we went up the scale, or as we went up these, the the, the scale of intensity, the scale of flavor has gone, gone up. Yeah. In, in full yep. swing. Yeah, it's a, definitely a it's stronger. Just, it's a little bit each time. That's yeah. the other reason I wanted to go in this order was to go from light to, to what dark. I thought was going to be mid, because I haven't really had harp for a long time, yeah. to, to lager, which um, I knew was going to be heavier. Jason says that the metallic crisp flavor you're referring to is a product of the yeast strain in the lagering process. There you go. Oh, you uh, go. That, of yeast. course, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeast, yeah. You beat me to it, Jason, but thank you. Mm. <laughs> never, never strain your yeasts, kids. I, I think there's a shot for that. Probably. <laughs> or a pill for that. Yeah, I'll have a shot after this, sure. Okay. This is enjoyable. I don't have to worry about, like, I would have it at a barbecue, or I wouldn't mind it at a party. I don't have to qualify this. I would just enjoy it as it is. Fair. No offense to our Irish brethren, but, um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta give this one to the home team, I think. Okay. Yeah. Mac. Thoughts? Thoughts? Score, 1 to 10. Score, 1 to 10. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go 7. 
Strong number. Strong mm -hmm. number. Yep. That's your overall yep. score. That is not just lager score. That's that is overall, overall beer score. I typically stick to around the lager ale spectrum in general. Okay. okay. So well, you're a better, better judge than I am then in that sense. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say like 7, 5, or 8 on my lager scale. Overall beer scale, probably a 5 because there are other kinds of beers I prefer. You know, but but in, compared to the other okay. ones, I would I would prefer this over the other ones over we've had. Harp. Okay. I have to say. Harp, I said 7-2. For lager, for Yingling lager, I'm gonna go eight, three. Okay. Yeah. I'll it's, say that I think the harp had a slightly nicer nose. I don't really think about nose with beer as much, but uh, yeah. But I like the the there was a more of a floral, citrusy nose to the yeah. to the harp, where this one is just you know just very yeasty and yeah, hoppy. it's yeah, it, it smells more like. I used to work in a bar, but it smells like a bar when you're cleaning up at the end of the night. Um, mm -hmm. It just smells like stale beer and that kind of thing. This is a little bit closer to that. Um, I'll give you. I'll give in you in a good point. way. Yeah, in, 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 <laughs> in the, the best loving, way possible. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the point about the floral, and yeah. you know, from from loving IPAs, you absolutely get the floral bouquet mm -hmm. kind of thing. Floral bouquet, something like that. Whatever. Um, the uh, yeah, with the citrus notes and the uh, uh, the grapefruit kind of notes in it, and the, mm -hmm. the hops that are so strong in IPAs. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit more malty, beery. Yeah. Scent. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I like this as a as a as a medium to light body beer. You want something really light and crisp for summer, like I was saying earlier. I would go with the heart. Yeah. This you know. Yeah. At, and at then, noon in August, I might I'll, prefer the harp over this, but. I'll say this as well. This smells like it tastes. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's a, a different nose to the beer from what it tastes like. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's just a thing. In this case, I think it's just a thing. It's just yeah. a thing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Hmm. So we're going to say Yingling Lager is the winner, um, kind of unanimously. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bud Light's not. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. The, the uh, oh, we didn't talk about the alcohol content. Is there? Whatever. I'm just curious. Um, does Bud Light even have an alcohol content? <laughs> it does not. I don't think it's listed on the can here. It's probably of a. Does it say rice? Yeah. Rice. Yeah. It's malt. Okay. Uh, so it's four point two. Four point two. Four point two. It's in the can. Okay. Okay. Oh, you found it. Okay. Oh, you found it. Okay. And harp is 11.2 fluid ounces of alcohol. Of alcohol. Um, of beer. Uh, Mac, you do a quick search for harp alcohol content. No, 4.5. And a, lager. They're beers. They're beers. They're all going to be about. Yeah, around. well, I just want to see if there's a big difference. Lager, who knows? About the same. All right, never mind. I'm used to, I'm used to hoppy beers that have like 7 or 8% alcohol, mm -hmm. so you need to, you know. Have less of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> okay. That being said, boys and girls, load in your questions into the comment area. Um, Eric and I are here to answer any questions you guys have about kilts, Highland wear, Celtic stuff in general. And we have a, a list of preloaded questions that mm -hmm. people had already asked and submitted before the show. But load them in and we'll get to them uh, kind of as we go along here. That being said, Mac, do we have anyone who's loaded questions in yet or no? Yeah, we've got uh, Michael uh, Ross is uh, asking about pros and cons for spore and belt hangers. Okay. Um, 
Sporn belt hangers or Sporn hangers uh, are the little uh, fobs, effectively. If think of a uh, like a biker wallet, where you have a chain and it clips to the belt. It actually has a little piece of leather that goes up and over the belt and kind of snaps below it. Um, if you have two of those, you can hang your Sporn from it. They're called Sporn hangers. The pros are that for big guys, if you have a belly, the sporin, when you wear it with a sporin chain, actually underlines the belly and kind of rumples the front of the kilt. When you wear sporin hangers, they hang down from the, you know, from right at the either side of the belt buckle and negates the need for the chain in general. Therefore, it's a much cleaner, flatter appearance on the front of the kilt. Mm -hmm. um, negatives, you can't spin your sporin to the side if you have to jump or jog for a second. Um, yeah. You'll have to worry about it, you know, bouncing in areas it shouldn't be bouncing. Um, um, I'd say aesthetically it's not necessarily as pleasing as a chain and uh, you have uh, less flexibility with adjusting the height of where the sporn is hanging. So if you're trying to use a, a set of sporn hangers with uh, a dress sporn and also throw them onto your day sporn, it's gonna monkey with, you can't have the dress sporn lowered down a little bit so the cantle's not in the way or have it higher up the way a day sporn is supposed to be a little higher than a dress sporn. You don't really have that flexibility. Some guys will try and spread the hangers out a little bit so they're hanging at an angle to try and adjust where the sporn is hanging, but it doesn't usually last. Basically, in the course of the day, the hangers are just going to naturally kind of gravitate towards being vertical. So it's just not as aesthetic looking. It's uh, it's more of a practical thing than a fashiony thing. I think you could say. Yeah. Um, if you're worried about the chain digging in <coughs> from a comfort standpoint or uh, a pressure standpoint or rumpling, like you said, then it's a very good option. The, the one thing I'll add as well is that when you're wearing, you must have a belt with it. Yeah. If you're wearing a vest or if you're wearing a dress sporn, um, this is a day sporn, but if you're wearing a dress sporn, which is the sporn with the metal cantle on the top and a little ball on the very top, you generally do not wear a belt because right. the top ball on the cantle knocks into your belt as you sit down and it sits much closer to your belt um, than a regular day sporn does. So, if you're wearing sporin hangers, it's tough to wear with a dress sporin yeah. because you need a belt to make it work, but you're not really supposed to, using my finger quotes there traditionally, you don't wear a belt with a dress sporin. So I won't say it's a no-no, but it's a little bit of a faux pas-ish. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's definitely not standard traditional. Yeah. Um, it is definitely a, a convenience for certain body types and if it allows you to wear the sporin whereas otherwise you'd feel uncomfortable wearing it then sure it's an effective means to an end yeah but it's, it's form not, follows function yeah exactly form follows function but it's not uh, it's not perfect for a formal look yeah for casual of course it doesn't matter yeah but for for big guys like we say if you're gonna wear a sporin chain with a dress sporin because you don't want to wear sporin hangers then hook your sporin chain above the the uh, buckle on the side of your kilt on the left side and the right side, and then that way your sporin chain hangs down from a higher point and from a, a further point on your side, as opposed to lower in the back, so it doesn't really underline your belly as much. It's a good cheat to get around having to wear sporin hangers with a belt and a dress board. Mm -hmm. Cool. Sure. Very good. Next question. Mr. Mack. The, this is from Aaron Miller, and this might be better suited for uh, you, Eric. Uh-oh. Do Vikings have tartans? <laughs> um, no. Uh, basically, at least not as far as we know from the archaeological record. Um, we do know that certain colors were preferred in different regions. For instance, uh, apparently red, for some reason, was very popular in the Danelaw, uh, which was the area of Britain, Scotland, Scotland and the Low 
Low Countries and side of Britain that was controlled by uh, the Danes for a few years. Um, and you find blues in parts of Norway, uh, but uh, there's really not a tradition of Norse tartan per se. Um, Yet. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking old, old, you know, historically, not uh, contemporarily. Contemporarily, of course, it's all over the place. And yeah, there's playing. Norwegian tartan. There's, like there's, a, a, there's a national, yeah. and, and yeah, and then, of course, there's uh, plenty of guys with Norse extraction, you know, who, who like tartan. Um, and I'm certain there was blending of fabrics and styles when, you know, Norsemen encountered any of these areas. Like in, in Northern Ireland, I'm sure there was a lot of blending of clothing. Um, okay. One of the possible etymological uh, sources of the word kilt is from the Old Norse kjalti, which means to wrap around. Um, if you know better than I do, you know, send me some resources, but that's one of the possible sources of the word that we know. So there's a connection there. But did they have tartan? Did the Vikings come off of their boats wearing wearing plaid? Probably not, at least not as far as we can tell from the archaeology. They wouldn't come off, but they could have, where the Vikings are stronger, let's say the Orkneys, or somewhere in the north of Scotland. Um, there would be some adaptation over time of the local, what the locals are doing. Mm -hmm. But then um, you also get into a question of, of how back, how far back in time does what we consider tartan go? If, you're telling, if you go back to you know you have the you have the um, the checks and uh, and the tweeds um, you know things like the Falkirk tartan yeah. um, which were more common um, I'm sure somebody was wearing some kind of patterned cloth but yeah. we don't have the archaeology to prove it or so. you know, associated with a particular clan versus just a fun pattern well, the, the, yeah and the clan yeah. thing has nothing to do with anything at that point yeah yeah that's exactly. much much later yep but hopefully that helps cool. yep. Any others, Mr. Mack? Yeah, they've, they're starting to roll in pretty good here. Nice. Okay. Thanks, um, guys. Right. So we have we have uh, this kind of two questions kind of go hand to hand here between uh, what Sean and James. Uh, one, Sean is uh, he's going to his first Highland Games tomorrow. Cool. So have fun there. Um, he's wearing a black utility style kilt, wearing a family T-shirt, and he has uh, yeah. black kilt socks. Buchanan flashes. Is this an okay look? Or something, or is there some things that he maybe want to change? And also, uh, James is asking along with the utility style kilts, uh, how common are they in in Britain and UK versus? Is this something that maybe they want to stick with or sure. change Let's up? Definitely take those as two separate pieces. Yeah. So I'll start mm -hmm. with the the second one. Um, they're not common in the UK. Mm -hmm. They're an American, lack of a better term, bastardization of a Scottish kilt. Um, the whole thing was really started by uh, Steve Villegas or Villegas up in uh, Seattle from the Utilikilt company. Very, very nice guy. Um, he just wanted to, you know, effectively have a American style kilt, put guys in skirts kind of thing, um, but have it be functional, that you don't need a sporin, that, it, you know, it fell between your knees as you sat down. Um, he, he originated the, uh, I shouldn't say originated, but he kind of, he patented the uh, reverse kunosi pleating, which is means the pleats are knife pleated, but they meet in the back. They wrap around opposite mm -hmm. directions. Mm -hmm. um, so that really started in, I want to say, 99 yeah. um, in Seattle with Utilikil Company. The It is not a big thing over in the UK. It's kind of been morphed and knocked off by dozens of companies in Pakistan and, you know, other companies in America have done similar kind of things. Um, but it is really more of an American thing than it is a UK thing. 
I will say the only exception to that would be that you do have some uh, fashion men's skirts, which a lot of times are pretty much de facto a utility kilt. Um, but those are basically a subcultural thing you'll see like in London or Berlin or something like that. Basically, you know, part of a, a music scene like metal or goth or something. And it's not utility kilt in our typical sense of I'm going to go conquer a mountain today, you know, with my rugged utility kilt kind of a thing. It's not that. It's just a fashion thing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and in Scotland, yeah, it's not really a thing. You have 21st century kilts, which are solid color, tweed, or like avant-garde, you know, snakeskin fabrics or whatever, like weird stuff yeah, but that have pockets on them. Mm -hmm. So they're close, but it's more of a fun fashion take on a kilt than it is a utility garment. Yeah, and I would call that a little bit more like an urban high-end yeah. men's, men's fashion thing as opposed yeah. to a utilitarian, yeah. uh, rugged kind of utility kilt. Yeah, like it's what we still... think of when we think of a utility kilt. Yeah, so. and it, it's, it's definitely more high-end couture kind of thing. Yeah. Um, although, you know, Howie Nicholsby, the guy who owns 21st Century Kilts, would, you know, he's the first to say that he's trying to bring it back to be daily wear like it has been for, you know, a long time, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, that's kind of his angle on it is putting guys in kilts, but it doesn't have to be tartan. It could be fun and funky, you know, worn lower on the hips with pockets and whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, there's different angles to it. Now, to, for the first question, um... The gent that's wearing the utility kilt family shirt. I mean, I'm assuming he means like uh, a coat of arms. I'm or assuming it, or something is it Bu it's Buchanan because of Buchanan the, the, the flashes. flashes. Yeah, maybe it doesn't okay. say that in the yeah. okay. in the question. Um, if you're wearing a utility kilt to a festival in America, that's a, a look that a lot of Americans would have. Yes, yeah. we are kind of doing our own thing ish mm -hmm. and mixing contemporary and traditional. We're mixing tartans with salads. Um, I'm assuming that the reason you're wearing this, the tartan flashes is to give a little bit of your family tartan on the outfit that you have a solid color kilt. Um, so it's not uncommon. A lot of people do it. Yeah. If it's, it, it's not necessarily my taste, but it's not, I don't find it offensive. Um, You'll get, you may get some people who are like, oh, why are you doing that kind of thing? And I look down like you're standing right there with the flashes on the bottom. I see them. Um, so the, it's, it's not something that is traditional, but you're wearing a utility kilt, so you're already not traditional. So do what you want to do. Yeah, it's casual for a festival. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I think the, the main goal is to show some pride in the family and to hopefully connect with other members of the clan, right? So you've got your broadcasting pretty well, so that's the goal there, and to be comfortable in summer heat at a festival. So yeah. don't worry about it too much. Um, at some point, change up your outfit when you want to look a little more traditional or a little bit more put together for a more formal occasion. You know, it's all, there, there's all levels and all different styles of doing this, depending on the context. Yeah. Context. So. Well, a lot of guys get into kilt wearing, myself included from starting wearing a solid color utility style kilt. And then eventually over time, after you're wearing it three, four, five times, you start liking the attention you're getting, you like the compliments you're getting. Then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm gonna try a tartan kilt too. And then you kind of get sucked into it that way. Um, other people come at it from the tartan angle and then they wanna wear it more often. They wanna wear it daily. They wanna have a kilt for changing their oil in. And you know, then you end up just, you know, getting a utility kilt or a solid color kilt. Yeah. So it's you can come at it from either direction. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully it helps. Yeah, right. cool. Okay. 
Mr. Mack. All right. Uh, Cameron is asking, is there any historical significance to a Brian Brew jacket, or is that a quasi-official Irish thing a la County Tartans? <clears throat> Interesting you ask. There's actually a pretty cool story. Um, he's, the, he's, he's not wrong. I think he's correct. That's a modern thing, but go yo, ahead. Yeah, yeah. The, the Brian Brew jacket. Here's the, here's the two-minute version. Um, basically, there is a uh, jacket manufacturer over in Scotland, and they wanted to update the Prince Charlie jacket for a more modern age. So they designed the Brian, what's now known as the Brian Brew. They basically took the Prince Charlie, kept the tails, um, but softened the edges and gave it a shawl collar um, and had the button chain closure across the front, uh, updated the cuffs to an Argyle-ish style cuff, just something to, to bring the, the Prince Charlie kicking and screaming from the 1950s into the 1990s. Um, so the, the manufacturer, the tailor, went to a bunch of the, the kilt hire, the kilt rental companies in Scotland and said, hey, we updated the Prince Charlie. What do you think? And he would send them a sample. And a lot of the companies were like, oh, this is really, really cool. That's a great job. We really like it. And then he said, great, how many can I put you down for? And they said, none, because we already have an entire fleet of Prince Charlies, and these yep. are different. So they didn't want to change over their rental fleet. So basically what it boiled down to was he said, all right, well, I don't want to just scrap this because it is a good-looking jacket. It's a nice style. Um, so he didn't want to just say, okay, fine, and throw it out. So he just said, okay, well... That was around the same time when the Irish tartans came out, and he said, all right, well, I can give it Irish buttons, you know, harp buttons, and I'll give it the name Brian Baru. And at the same time, he came out with what's called the Kilkenny jacket, um, which is effectively a different slant on the Argyle jacket. So you have the formal and semi-formal Scottish jackets and formal and semi-formal Irish jackets. It was kind of just invented out of thin air, but at the same time, it's a really cool-looking style. And frankly, the Prince Charlie was kind of invented out of thin air. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a throwback to, it's an homage to uh, late 18th century, early 19th century coatees, the Prince Charlie is. But they, they jazzed it up for the 1920s. They put on what was at that time the popular style of jacket lapel. So your buddy was doing exactly the same yeah. thing yeah. with what he did. Um, so it, it's modern, yes. It actually, though, has a really a, a more timeless look, in my opinion, to the PC because it doesn't have those pointy lapels on it. Yeah. You know, it actually, the shawl collar has a much older tradition than pointed lapels do. So I like it. I actually like it better than a PC. Yeah. In, in terms and, of in terms of formal wear, it occupies the same space. And the PC came out of the regulation doublet, I believe. The regulation was, doublet was, I think, came out just, just a few years before it. Yeah, it but basically yeah, they took around the regulation. Around the turn of the century. Yeah, the regulation doublet looks like a Prince Charlie, but they cut the flaps there's flaps on the front and on the sides and in the back. Um, the Prince Charlie just basically cut all those off except for the two in the back to make them tails. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's and that style is called a coatee, and that was a standard yeah. uniform piece going back to like the Napoleonic age. Yeah. Napoleonic meaning, age. Yeah. And coatee meaning shorter in the front and sides yeah. versus a jacket which is longer. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And now you know. <laughs> and knowing's half the battle. Yep. Um and obviously, he needs both. You need a PC and a Brian Baru to make sure you have a complete collection. Well, as well as a Kilkenny. Yeah. Because you wouldn't yeah. want to go to a semi-formal event. And a Sheriff Muir. And then tweed for daywear. And tweed for daywear. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yep. And vests to go with all of them, of course. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. 
Very good. Any more, Mac? Yeah, actually, we've uh, we've got a good bit of Sporn questions coming in today. Okay. Um, so we have Gary. We'll start with this one. Gary has a question about what would be our thoughts on be the best all-around Sporn for day and dress, if you had to choose one. For day and dress? Like a single jack-of-all-trades? Yes. Hmm. You go. Uh, I'll let you pick and explain why, then I'll pick. And let's let's limit ourselves. One. You can't have more than one sporn. Can I make it up? Can I invent it myself? Sure. And this is one sporn that's going to go from... He's only going to have one. He only has okay. enough to buy one sporn. His wife said you're allowed one. Okay. Never allowed to buy another one. So I'm pulling up at the truck stop at 7 a.m. to get my breakfast burrito, and I'm wearing the sporn, and I'm also wearing it that night to go to the opera. Sure. Okay. I think I would do a semi-dress with seal pelt and leather tassels, not not bells. Okay. And maybe some maybe some studs on the flap to, to get a little bit of bling. You see where I'm going with that? Though? I do. I do. I feel mm -hmm. it. I'm feeling you. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I got a couple of reasons for that. It'd be it'd be the seal would give it a little bit of sheen and might look a little bit posh in the right light. Um, and we're forgetting the fact that seal is illegal in the U.S. Yeah, you said I could have anything. Okay. So, um, and uh, it's faux seal. It's faux seal. Um, uh, seal is also very hard wearing, of course. Yes. Um, the leather tassels would not make too much noise, which bothers me with uh, lost warrens, and it would be, uh, you know, just elegant looking for day. But uh, the seal will kind of kick it up enough of a notch. I might feel okay wearing it with like an argyle. Not okay. a PC. I don't think I, I don't think I could do that to be honest. But um, well, you, you'd yeah. be surprised. The uh, oh, I've, I'm not saying I haven't seen it done. Yeah, I'm no. Even like we, I, I specifically remember this example sticks in my brain. We were at I was at the uh, the St. Andrews Society of Philadelphia uh, uh, St. Andrews dinner, like November 30th, St. Andrews Day, mm -hmm. and they always have a guest speaker. And the, the guest speaker that year was the Minister of Defense for the. Royal Military or something, previous Minister of Defense, hmm. um, and from Scotland, and he came over and had his kilt and had his Prince Charlie jacket on and a day sporn. And okay, it, it, it's one of those where it's, I don't know whether he knew better or not, but I knew better and I was like, ah, it doesn't look quite right. So it doesn't matter really where you're from as hmm. far as that's concerned. Um, but it's, it's what he had, so it's probably what he wore. Okay. Um, Anyway, back to the question. For me, yeah, what sporn would I do? The I will. I'll give a little bit of the lesson and then go into. Oh, a lesson. Yes, of of course, lessons. Okay. And then I'll go into what you said and why I agree with you, and then go from my actual pick. Is this the Book of Rocky? This is yeah. the Book of Chapter the three. first. <laughs> this is the last first lesson of the day, Book of Rocky, Chapter six, Verse three. Um, the uh, some people. Love semi-dress sporns for that exact reason. It is, you know, one sporn that is close enough for dressier functions, close enough for day wear functions. Other people will say it's neither fish nor fowl. It's not a dress sporn, so it does not look appropriate to wear with a PC or even with an Argyle-ish. Um, mm -hmm. And it's too dressy to wear with a t-shirt and a pair of sneakers. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a difficult one to kind of navigate one sporn for everything. That being said, if you're gonna do it, a semi-dress is a solid way to go. My choice is the sporin that I designed, which is the hunting sporin with fur bottom. Okay, yep, yep. 
the uh, and that's effectively why I designed it mm. was the hunting spore and it's actually over Eric's shoulder in the shot here if you're watching this the uh, hunting sporn is an oval-shaped sporn with five leather leaves coming down the bottom. And the sporn makeover in Scotland, they're usually just plain leather. Uh, the, our sporn makeover in Scotland, I went to him and I said, Greg, I want something a little bit more, uh, a little dressier to wear for eh, semi-formal kind of stuff, but I don't like semi-dressed sporns. Change out the fur underneath the leaves for, you know, gray bovine, which is another very hard-wearing fur. Yep. Um, and legal. Yes. And uh, I actually had a different uh, design on the Tarj, which is the, le the leather circle in the middle, um, to kind of help dress it up a bit. But at the same time, it's good for day wear and it looks very comfortable in like worn with a, uh, a Prince Charlie or an Argyle, as well as a tweed jacket. And really I could get away with it in my own mind, um, just with a polo and a pair of sneakers as a nice looking sporin. I like the fact that it's kind of oval shaped because that keeps it closer to a dress sporin than a yeah. day sporin. Yeah, I get that. Um, so that's my pick. Okay. Yeah, and it's, for some reason I was completely blocking out hunting sporins from my mind when I came up with my design. But I think part of it is because I don't, I don't like the openness of the closure on a hunting sporin. I'll give you it know, that. I, I know it's it's more of a perception thing than a reality thing, but uh, the fact that there's this open gap there, I like a flap, you know, for for security reasons, you know, yeah. and weather. You know, and crumbs from that breakfast burrito that I was talking about. Agreed. You know. But uh, that's a fun. That was a fun exercise. That yeah. was actually kind of cool. Absolutely. Yep. There was another one uh, that we got that came in that was we were only allowed to answer with one. Let's do that question next. While we're on the only sure. one. Sure. Our second train. only one question of the day. This is from Brian Taylor, and uh, he's still on leather. He was saying, "What if you could only have one pair of shoes for kilting?" For any time you're wearing a kilt, only one pair of shoes. Okay. What would it be? You want to go first or do it me? Um, I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, if I'm only allowed to have one, the the shoes more so than the sporin would kind of dictate what you're allowed, how formal or informal you are. If you are somebody that only dresses up in your kilt and you only go to formal functions, then I would probably pick a pair of wingtips or something that could be dressed formally or smart day wear kind of thing. But then you're limiting yourself to wearing it with kilt hose and, you know, still, you know, office casual or nice, mm -hmm. even more than office casual, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, well-dressed kind of thing. Um, I wear my kilts daily, so I wear sneakers with them, you know, four days a week in the winter, maybe two days a week, and then, you know, wingtips or ghillie um the other days. Um, so it's, for me, it would be kind of, I would take that question and say, okay, how do I dress in my kilt most often, and then dress appropriate for that? And if I was only allowed one, then I'd have to nix something, and for me, I wear my kilt often enough with sneakers that I would, I would then have to say, okay, fine. Then a a nice pair of sneakers, if there's such a thing, um, versus wingtips or ghillie brogues, because that I would have to be dressed up all the time for. And as you can see, I'm not dressed up in my daily life when I'm running to the store, when I'm in the work, when I'm climbing ladders in the warehouse or whatever. 
wearing dress shoes would be weird for me. So I would, for me, if I had to sacrifice either wearing a kilt formally or wearing a kilt casually, I'd have to sacrifice the formal because I like it too much and I wear it too much and I'm not that dressy that often. I get that. I get that. Um, I think uh, I'm a little lucky because right now a kind of shoe that I like for this purpose, for this exercise, is uh, fashionable, so it's easier to find. But uh, basically, I'd go with the tall Victorian style walking boot. Uh, basically, okay. you get them with you can get them with broguing. Uh, I have a pair from Bass right now, which I really like. Um, you can get them in a high polish or not really high polish, but you know polished. Polished, patent. yeah. Yeah, or as opposed to like have a soft suede kind of finish. Um, and uh, they look fine for casual, and they are passable for a lot of nicer occasions too. I would not wear it again. Probably wouldn't wear it with a PC, but. How often do I wear a PC? Like maybe if I'm going to a friend's wedding or something, that's about it. Um, for me, if I'm dressing up, it's usually tweeds or as far as I'm going. Sometimes an argyle with an alternative vest or something like that, uh, if it's for an evening, but for most of the evening occasions I'm thinking of, something like that, it's subtle, but it's got a little bit of height, so it still looks good. It's a very traditional shoe. The design basically hasn't changed in a hundred years. Um, and I find them comfortable. So that would be my, my go-to. Now, if they ever stop making them for regular shoe stores, I'll have to go to reenactment supply to get them. But, uh, but you can just buy several when they're selling out. I've been known to do that kind of yeah. thing, actually. <laughs> so have but, I. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that would be my go-to. Yeah. yeah. So a little more formal than your uh, yeah than your sneakers. I will say this: luckily, we are able to afford two pair of shoes, mm. mm -hmm. so we don't mm -hmm. have to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's that. Indeed. Next. Okay, Mac. Okay, the uh, Michael's asking, how did weather tartans come about? And there's also, I, I missed who, who asked this question, um, when choosing a tartan, which do you choose? Do you choose the modern, the ancient? How do you go about choosing which one of those? Sure. Yes. Exactly. The um, weather tartans came about in the, I believe it was the 1950s. Um, There's a mill over in Scotland called DC Dogleash. And the, the story, and I'll use that term, story, goes that uh, Kenny Dogleash's father, who was the, the owner of the mill at the time, um, was given a scrap of tartan that was found in a bog, <coughs> and he, has, you know, he kept it under lock and key and historically uh, reproduced the actual colors that were in the tartan, and the, the blues turned to gray and the greens turned to brown um, to weather the tartan they actually coined the term reproduction. Um, when pressed about this by the Scottish Tartan Society, uh, they basically said, well, we don't have that scrap anymore and we kept it under lock and key, but it's not here. We gave it back to the owner. Um, hmm. So it's, it's really a question of, was the story BS or was it true? It's kind of immaterial at this point because yeah. they're a thing now. At, at this point, yeah. So <clears throat> Dog Leash copyrighted the name reproduction as it goes, you know, as far as tartans, um, to look like they were just effectively pulled from a bog or old, old, old looking tartans. Um, when they started to become more popular, the, the other mills couldn't use the word reproduction, so they started using the term weathered. And then also the term muted kind of came in, uh, was invented by House of Edgar, I believe, uh, to slightly differentiate their color palette from the weathered color palette. Instead of greens, excuse me, instead of grays and uh, and browns, 
House of Edgar was using an olive green and a uh, like a, a stormy sky blue and blood red kind of colors. Mm -hmm. um, which of those do you pick? Whatever one you want. The basically think about it as far as a, a pure capitalism standpoint. If the mill has one Buchanan tartan, then you get one to pick from. And if there's a couple different mills, you can choose from whichever mill you want, but they're all gonna look effectively the same. So one mill at some point in history had the idea of, okay, well, if people don't like the Buchanan modern, let's make Buchanan ancient where we lighten the colors up, mm. or let's make Buchanan weathered where we turn the colors to browns and grays and that kind of thing. So they're giving a Buchanan who walks into the shop three options versus one option. So that's kind of how the different color palettes came to be. It was very much just to give consumers choice and have more bites at the apple. Mm -hmm. um, which one you should choose for formal versus day wear, honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, I got married in the Scott Green Weathered Tartan. Just because it's browns and grays doesn't mean that it's less formal than the Scott Green Modern Tartan, which is, right. you know, bold green or like a bottle green and a navy blue and that kind of thing. It all boils down to, for an outfit, for how formal or, or casual it is, what you're pairing it with. If I have on a dress sporin and a Prince Charlie or, or a black argyle jacket and a bow tie and that kind of thing, then it's formal. If I wear a weathered tartan with a day sporin, a pair of sneakers and a polo shirt, then it's casual. It's really, when it comes to kilts, it's really about all the accessories, not actually the kilt itself. The kilt is the most versatile garment that I can think of, where you can dress it up or down. It's not like a pair of cargo shorts or dress pants, it's both. You can dress it however you want, depending on the accessories you choose. Cargo dress pants. <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth. That's Cargo <laughs> dress pants. Um, yeah, I think you summed it up very well. Now, I what I, I the, one, the only comment I'll make is um, uh, the Outlander tartans are weathered, technically, right? Yes. So what's ironic is the fact that the whole idea of the uh, reproduction weathered tartans is a modern invention. It's basically it goes back to you said the fifties, I believe, at, yes. at the latest. Um, if you go back, if you went actually back to the eighteenth century and you were wandering around with Jamie Fraser, like a a real Jamie Fraser, minus the cavalry boots. Um, he would not be wearing this weathered drab tartan. The colors were a lot brighter. They're a lot more vivid, you know, and, and that was one of the ways you showed pride and uh, just enjoyed life, frankly, and showed wealth. You know, basically, you know, the, the bright colors were signifier of, you know, being able to afford the dyes to weave a nice uh, bright colored cloth. So this whole weathered is old thing is just like in the movies where you see a medieval movie and they assume Hey, it's the Middle Ages, so everything was drab and muddy and, and ugly and all that. And Max over here laughing um, because they don't, you know, that's just a modern assumption. Um, so it's, it's from a modern standpoint, this modern invention of weathered tartans is a nice way to have a good sedate and naturalistic look. Um, if you want to be really historical and traditional, you might want to consider the modern or the uh, ancient uh, palette instead. I will point something out, though. Okay. The... We'll, the all the mills, La Caron, Strathmore, House of Edgar, um, Dog Leash, all the mills are less old. Let's say I'm, I agree. I'm not sure exactly how old they are. I think I know but where you're going. But let's say let's okay. say 1900s. Um, 
the mill that was in existence, the you main mean, mill. You mean 1800s when you say 1900s? No, I mean like 1900s. Like 20th century. Correct. Okay, go ahead. Um, they're not, you know, hundreds of years old. Lock right. Heron and them are, you know, they're they're older than 50 years, but they're not like 500 years gotcha. old. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> the oldest mill, oh, I shouldn't say the oldest mill, one of the, the main mill that was weaving tartans in the 1800s was Wilson's Bannockburn. Certainly the most famous. Yes. yes. And Wilson's, their color palette, they didn't have modern and ancient and whatever, they just had their colors. Um, mm -hmm. And the green, the their, the Wilson's of Bannockburn colors, there's a couple mills that do reproduction, not, you know, forget the term weathered for a second. They did reproduction of Wilson's colors. Uh -huh. Strathmore does it. Um, you have and, a kilt. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yep. uh, that's a Strathmore kilt. Yep. Um, or a Strathmore material. The basically, it's they used navy blue, mm -hmm. scarlet red, so a bold red. Yep. But for green, they always used olive green. Mm -hmm. So in in today's terms, it's kind of a mix of uh, muted and modern together. Mm -hmm. um, but that was just what they did. That was the green color that they chose, and they said that looks good. That's what we're doing. Sure. It's keep in mind a, a tartan is defined by the thread count. So. If you and the thread count does not say you know Pantone number eight six two seven three Z color green, it says green, it says blue, it says black, it says red. So if you're going to when you go to a mill, it's their interpretation of what green means. Mm -hmm. It's no there's no it must be this exact thing unless it's specified or unless it's a branding exercise. Um, right. But it is. Green is green as far as the, the tartan registry is concerned. So the, the, the specific colors of green are really up to the mill and what they find is commercially viable. And in the case of Wilson's, their green was a muted olive kind of green. Mm -hmm. I just want to make the point that Jamie Frazier would not have looked oh, like he was covered in mud. Agree. He'd be, he would have been brighter colors. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't trying to dispute that. I mm was -hmm. just going back to the, the muted modern to make that point. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a tangent, and forgive the shaggy dog, folks, but um, why don't you touch on the origins of dress tartans real quick? The origins of them? Origins or history or, you know, what do people oh, need to do? Do people them? even worry about dress tartans for the most part? We have one or two which are popular <clears throat> with people. Yes. But for the most part, and not every clan has one. So. Correct. No, dress tartans um, are different from hunting tartans. It's not the color palette, because you can do, well, you kind of have to, like, color palettes, we mean ancient, muted, modern, weathered. Those are color palettes. What colors of green, or what colors of blue, but the thread count, the actual design, is the exact same. Some clans, if they have two tartans, may have a hunting and may have a red version. Mm -hmm. So that way you can differentiate between two separate designs where the thread counts are actually different. Um, there's also dress tartans and using my, a, a very general statement, most dress tartans have a good chunk of white. So there's gonna be a white field or a white section in dress tartans. Uh, Stuart has a dress tartan, yep. looks like Looks exactly like the tartan I'm wearing. This is Royal Stewart weathered, but in Royal Stewart dress, this big red field is replaced by white. Um, Gordon dress has a large white field in it. Campbell dress has a large white field. Um, those tartans will come in modern, ancient, you know, variations. 
but it's really it's an entirely different tartan from their normal tartan. There are a few exceptions, um, like McLeod dress does not have any white in it. That's the right. bright yellow. That's the yellow, loud McLeod. The loud McLeod, exactly, yellow and black with a red stripe. Um, but it's, yeah, they're, they're wholly different from the normal clan tartan. Do I have to have a dress tartan for formal occasions, Rocky? At least one, if oh. not three. Okay. Um, no, you don't. It's just a, they tend to be more feminine because of the amount of white in them. Um, Highland dancers like dress tartans because it shows better from the stage and they're, you know, lighter colors. Um, but you don't need a dress tartan to be dressed formally. They're just a different tartan. A lot of guys kind of shy away from them because they have a little bit more feminine angle to it because of the white. But it's, you can, it's not, you know, it's not specifically for women. It's not specifically for dress. It's a design. If it's one of your family tartans or if you just happen to like it, have at it. There you go. Cool. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you very much. Should I do another one, or you want to do one? Well, this kind of ties coming in. coming in live, they get... Yeah. This, this kind of ties in what you guys are talking about. Um, Edward is asking what difference between a, a traditional and a tweed kilt is. Um, mm. Since we are seeing a lot more images of them online <coughs> of late, uh, especially tweed kilts. Did he ask that question to us earlier? Okay. All right. Um, there is... You're, you're mixing two things. You're mixing traditional kilt and tweed kilt. You can have a tweed, a traditional tweed kilt, meaning a traditionally tailored kilt that happens to be made from tweed cloth. Mm -hmm. I have a traditionally tailored kilt that is made from wool tartan cloth. Um, tweed has been around as a fabric for quite a long time, um, especially woven in the Outer Hebrides. Um, there's a uh, one of the Maclay prints is of John Brown yep. wearing Maclay uh, was an artist who painted a bunch of different Highland clans, uh, a, a member of Highland clans. When were the paintings from? 1800s, was it? Well, it's uh, 1870s, I think is, no, 1880, like 1882, 1884, somewhere in there is the published date of the uh, the Highland clans, Okay. which is the commission book he did for Queen Victoria. Okay. Yep. But. I think. Yeah. I'll double check that. But. At least one of those prints um, is John Brown, which is a famous Scot, in a tweed outfit with a plaid day plaid over his right arm. So tweed kilts and tweed jackets have been around for a long, long time. Remember, this isn't just about clans. It's about the kilt. And if you're in the middle of nowhere, it's also about fashion. And if you're in the middle of nowhere and your tailor has a really cool looking tweed, they were... We, we tend to romanticize things and say, this is how it was. This is the only way it was ever. Um, but it's not necessarily true. They were people just like we are. They enjoyed fashion just like we do. Not necessarily to the same degree because clothes were much more expensive a commodity, but they would enjoy fashion as well. So if somebody walks into his tailor's and the tailor goes, wow, look at this tweet I just got. And the guy gets say, you know, a wild hair and says, hey, you know what? I really like that tweed. I want a tweed killed out of that. Yeah, make me a kilt. The guy would say, okay, fine, and make him a kilt out of it. So it does have, and, and tweed is a very Scottish product. Yeah. So it does have some historical precedent. It wasn't widely popular, but yes, it was done. Yes, there were photos and paintings of gents in the Highlands and in Scotland wearing tweed kilts. Mm -hmm. So it is 
and that was more of a, again, of a fashion-y kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it was done. It's not nearly as popular for kilts as tartans, but it was done. Yep. Um, and some of the kilts which we perceive as being solid color, uh, like completely monochrome, would, from a technical standpoint, still be a tweed because we're talking about the, you know, the, the weave of the fabric and how the fabric is produced. Um, or you might see an image of what looks to be a solid color kilt, uh, but it's a painting or a photograph or you know a, a sepia tone photograph, something you know an old um, 19th century thing, and you can't see the pattern because it's very very subtle and it's just been lost in the imagery. So um, yeah, if you have a hankering to wear a solid color kilt or a tweed kilt, you're not being untraditional. It's not a modern thing. Unlike the weather tartans we were just talking about, a, a Tweed kilt is actually very, very traditional, at least going back to the Victorian times, and probably earlier than that, just not documented. Yeah, the yeah. thing, uh, the thing I would say about tweed kilts, however, um, I've owned a couple tweed kilts. The one thing that you you kind of have to be cognizant of is that it kind of uh, it, it kind of felt a little off to me. You. For me, when I wore my tweed kilt, I felt like I had to have on my sporing, I had to have on kilt hose. It's not as visually recognizable as tartan in a kilt. So it looks, if you're not wearing all the accoutrements, shall we say, you end up potentially looking like you have on the bottom half of a women's business suit. So for my personal taste, I always wanted to wear a, you know, a sporing with it and hose with it and that kind of thing. And I'm talking more about solid color tweeds. Yeah. If you're wearing a pattern tweed or a window window pane kind of tweed, then maybe you could get away with it a little bit more relaxed. Um, or if it's a tweed tartan, which is a new kind of fad thing that's going on. Yep, which is a lot cool. of A few of the companies are weaving tartans in tweeds, which has been pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something I would just point out to be a little bit weary of if you're wearing a tweed kilt. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. Yep. But yeah. And always get samples. If you're not sure, always get a swatch. Anything else, Mac? Yeah, going back to the sporns again, um, what's the best polish or cleaner for a cannel for a dress sporn, chrome, and or antique? Just regular silver polish. For Just chrome, er, I, for chrome, I don't for, think you'd er, even need it. Check but. that. Not silver polish. I mean like a, a, a polished cloth, like a, a cloth that you would polish your ring with. Mm -hmm. That. Um, if, it's, yeah, if, it's, if it's pewter, absolutely a polished cloth. Yeah. Um, okay. If it's a chromed, plated cantle, um, it, if the if the design is stamped in well and it's a very busy design, you won't really see it mm. with finger marks. But maybe on the on the shoulder of the cantle, the top part that actually is like facing up at you, um, that is generally just flat, so you may end up showing fingerprints on there. Okay. Um, I don't think it would tarnish it. Um, but you'll you see fingerprints. Yeah, the whole you can't really tarnish chrome. That's the whole point of chrome. Yeah, fair. See, and if you're gonna try and get schmutz out of the uh, the crevices or something like that, like it's a very deep, deeply cut uh, design, then just yeah, you know, a little little soap on a toothbrush. A toothbrush or yeah. Honestly, yeah. So um, yeah, but I would avoid harsh chemicals. If it's obviously if it's a silver, like an antique, you know, silver cantle. Yeah. Then use appropriate silver cleaning. Uh, and you it? chemicals. Yes, and what I'd say is. You may want to, depending on how it's affixed to the bag um, and your comfort level, I would pro if it was me personally, I would probably remove the cantle from the bag yeah. and then just you know use silver cleaner on it, yeah. specifically on it, let it soak in it and that kind of thing, and then reattach it to the bag using white gloves or whatever. Yeah, but honestly, I've 
only rarely felt like I needed to clean a, yeah. a metal cancel. So I'm guessing that maybe there's a specific problem you've run into. Um, send us a picture. I'd be curious to see if you're running into a specific, a specific situation with a specific cancel that needs cleaning for a reason. You know, maybe it's more intense of a problem than I'm imagining. Uh, but for the most part, I don't find they really need a lot of special attention. Nope. Not the pewter or the chrome, at least. Pewter does because it kind of it, it ages and gets a little bit tarnished yeah. over time. But that's actually, but that's actually a, a, a feature, not a bug, because you, of know, you can get the because you can get the patina built up in the crevices, and if you hit hit the surfaces with the silver polish cloth, um, you get more contrast in the design. Yeah, that's true too. So I, you know, yep. with with the buckles especially, I always tell people that you know, remember keep the polish, keep it a little bit polished, and you're going to get a better look to the design over the years. So. Yeah, that's. The buckle I'm wearing. Yeah. The uh, when we have them polish these, we tell them you know leave the you know polish it to a higher shine, but leave the the stuff inside the crevices so it gives a higher contrast to the design. Yeah, which is Absolutely. nice. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Very good. Mr. Mac, any more? Yeah. Thomas is asking, is there a way to wear suspenders with a kilt? Yes. yes. Over the shoulder. And under a vest. <laughs> mm -hmm. The uh, uh, suspenders with a kilt. You're, it's people personal do preference. It. People, yeah, do, people it. do it. Yeah. Um, it's generally, it looks a little off. So most guys that are wearing suspenders with a kilt can do it under, well, will do it underneath a vest. That way they don't have to worry about the suspenders, you know, showing so much on the front and being such yeah. a visual thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it can be done. I've seen one or two people pull it off, you know, and it, it looks okay. Um, or the, the suspenders are subtle enough that it's not super distracting. But it is a little bit strange. Um, it's like your kilt had a date with Lederhosen, you know, and things went wrong. Um, but uh, you'll probably want to go with, uh, almost certainly you're going to want to go with having buttons installed uh, in the kilt as opposed to trying to use <coughs> clippy suspenders. Those are really not going to serve you well and they're not going to be good for the kilt. Um, so take the time to have either do it yourself or have a seamstress or tailor install proper braces buttons on the inside of the kilt to support those. Uh, but yeah, for a lot of people, especially if you have belly issues or something like that, um, we know we have some guys who have like they have a sensitive stomach because of surgery, and they would opt for uh, the braces instead of tightening, tightening the kilt the down kilt. a lot because yeah. it's just uncomfortable. Uh, but if you have a vest on or a sweater, any kind of top layer to cover them up, nobody's gonna know. Yep, you know it's gonna look, it'll be fine. So yeah, do again, like I always say, do what is going to allow you to enjoy the kilt, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll say just from personal experience, it, it is from using it for World War One reenacting. Mm -hmm. It is. Sorry, I'm nerding a moment there. No, go for um, it. But it's a. Uh, it, it's without taking them off, it is very difficult to weave your way through to get back to get the kilt on to get everything aligned. It, it's it's does create a hassle, and you have to bend some interesting ways to get it all to work. <laughs> but uh, it, it's I've kind of ditched and gone for a stable belt instead. For that okay. fact, but okay. yeah, it's it's interesting. Now wait, were the braces a standard issue thing then uh, on some of those uniforms, or were they an optional thing? They were an optional thing, so okay. you see, you'll okay. see additional buttons and stuff added to I them. I see. Okay, what percentage of guys uh, would opt for braces on their kilts? Or you don't it's, have that kind, it's of kind of yeah, I don't have that data, okay. but it's it's definitely you see it in a lot of photos. Interesting. Okay, so yeah. there you go. You have a historical precedent. Oh yeah, but I'm 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 putting it in the current day context where. Braces and suspenders are not nearly as popular now yeah. as they were, you know, 150 years mm -hmm. ago. Very good. Mr. Mac. Uh, let's see here. We have um, Bradley is wondering if there's if it is taboo with mixing Scottish and tartan accessories. 
Scottish tartan and Irish accessories with a kilt, um, such as a pin, cap badge, and such. Right, right. The the mixy matchy thing is more of an American tradition than it is done in Scotland. The if you're, for instance, if you were a Stuart on your father's side, but your mother was a clan gun, you would, you know, traditionally speaking, you would wear a. Let's say father's a Stuart. Yeah. yeah. You'd wear a Stuart tartan, and then you know, if you wanted to wear clan jewelry, clan badge stuff, you'd wear Stuart clan badge stuff. You wouldn't wear a clan gun kilt pin on a Stuart kilt. It's kind of like wearing an, you know, an Eagles jersey with a Steelers hat. Um, it's just kind of you don't mix and match like that over there. Um, that being said, Americans, we have this desire, this burning desire to showcase all of our family heritage all at the same time. Right. So a lot of Americans will wear a different tartan with a, or a, a tartan with a different clan kilt pin or wear an Irish, you know, brooch or an Irish kilt pin or, you know, mix and match different things. I've seen guys wear uh, a, a kilt with different tartan flashes. Um, you know, just in the name of trying to incorporate their entire family history into one outfit. It's not wrong. It's personal preference to a degree, or it's your personal comfort level. It's your life. You're doing what you want to do. It's your statement to the world. How the world interprets that statement is up to the people in the world, but it's up to you. Like there's, you know, there's guys who will wear native, they're half Native American and Scottish. So they'll wear Native American jewelry or turquoise jewelry on their kilt mm -hmm. or, you know, wear a Scottish tartan to a powwow or that kind of thing. And that's what they want to do. Certain people love that and think it's awesome. And it's, you know, kind of incorporating their entire heritage into one outfit. Other people will say back to the semi-dress sporing kind of argument. Yeah. It's neither fish nor fowl. You should do one when you're at this event and the other at that event. It's personal preference. It's up to you. You're the one wearing it, not them. Mm -hmm. People might judge you, but they could judge you for dyeing your hair blue or being bald. Who cares? It's um, it's definitely an American thing. Uh, now, that I would say just uh, choose what you're doing for the context. Like, I would not go to a clan meeting, uh, you know, like that's just all the Buchanans together and then have your Irish bling on the kilt that day. If you're going to a festival... Uh, like the one we have here, Celtic Classic, which is a pan-Celtic festival. It's, you know, part Irish, part Welsh, part Scottish. It's everything. Then mix it up and enjoy it. You know, personal life, going to the grocery store, sure, mix it up and enjoy it. Um, there might be occasions where you want to just represent the Irish stuff. St. Patrick's Day, maybe you have an alternate kilt, like a solid color kilt or something, and you, you know, bring out the Irish accessories with that. So, you know, don't limit yourself. Don't feel like you have to have one uniform that you have to have when you're kilted. And, uh... Just choose choose what you're wearing based on the day. Yeah, you're you are living your life in this. It's up to you. You decide how you want to represent yourself to the world. You have to be comfortable. Nobody else. Yeah. Just you. Right yeah. Mr. Mac. Alrighty. So we have Robert asking: Is it acceptable to wear a modern style collared tuxedo shirt and bow tie with a PC outfit for a formal event? Collared tuxedo shirt. That's how it's worded. Like a turndown collar, I'm as, opposed to a, as opposed to a wingtip. Um, Do we just sure. shake our heads at the same time? I think we just both went like this at the same time. <laughs> Night at the Roxbury kind of. <clears throat> um, sure. Uh, there's no. I've seen it done. Yeah, it's it's done. Let, let me preface it by saying this. 
99% of the time when you're at a formal function in a kilt, most, well, 99% of the people there will have no idea whether you're wearing it properly or not. They won't know whether that you're supposed to be wearing a stand-up collar, your wingtip collar with a bow tie and a Prince Charlie. Most people won't go that far. Mm. Most people won't know that you're not supposed to have the studs going down the front. You're supposed to have a placket covering the buttons. The So ultimately, it's, it's really not going to matter. There's much, much bigger faux pas, there's much bigger things to worry about than the collar on your, you know, on your tux shirt versus, you know, what color hose do you wear and that kind of thing. It's, there's, it's all about the, the overall outfit all put together. Any one single little detail, little detail, and I consider the collar to a degree a little detail, is not going to throw off the entire outfit and you're going to be kicked out of the event and drummed down at a police station. It's <laughs> the... So it's 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 that's a minor detail that you shouldn't get too too wrapped up in. But I'd say, ideally, you get a uh, a wing collar shirt with a little tiny stand up collar and then the little wings right here, a bow tie, and then plaque it over the buttons. If you don't have that and you're in a pinch and you already own the other shirt, wear it. Yeah, um, I would prefer the uh, turn down collar with an argyle, um, just from a stylistic standpoint. So you could do it. My personal preference would be to go with the wing collar, but uh, but yeah, what he said. Mr. Mack. Uh, so we have AJ asking about uh, cheater pleats in a great kilt. How how often do we see that? Is that something that is is done a lot? That's um, a good question. There, he's That's planning on getting question. a second one for his stage slash metal use. Um, oh, so okay. he's he's trying to figure out what how he wants to do that. If it's for a performance costume and you need to be ready to go on time, I would certainly consider it because if you're up on stage, nobody's going to know and uh, you need to cut all the corners you can so that you have less to stress about before it's time to go out. Yeah. You know, so from and a technical standpoint, I'd say don't worry about it. But Let's backpedal half a second and explain <laughs> what they are. Okay. <clears throat> when you're wearing a great kilt, a great kilt is literally... Just, you know, like you see in Braveheart and those kind of moves. A great kilt is literally a length of fabric, effectively four yards, give or take, double width, that you lay it out, lay out on the floor. You kneel down and you hand pleat the back or the middle section of the cloth. You slide a belt underneath it. You lay down on it. You wrap one apron on this side, one apron on that side. You connect the belt. You stand up. You whippity-doo-dah, wrap things around. Put a bridge up at the shoulder, you have on your great kilt. What he's talking about is what are called cheater pleats, where instead of having to sit down there, kneel, and hand pleat the kilt each time, you just sew in a four to six inch section in the center of the kilt so that you can just literally lay it out and it's already sewn in in that section. Then you lay down, slide the belt, boom, whippity doo da. Whippity doo da. Whippity doo da. Um, so yes, cheater plates are a thing. Yes, people can do them. Um, they're, they're not something we do. No. Um, but it's, yeah, it basically speeds up the process that you don't have to hand plate the kilt every time you do it. Um, I think it's a way of getting people who are not familiar with how to use a great kilt into buying one. That's why I think some manufacturers who offer them do that is because, you know, wait, we'll make it easy for you. Um, there is speculation, and I'm not going to say it's a fact, but there is there is strong speculation that the Highlanders actually had their own form of a cheater pleat 
in the form of a drawstring. Just passing passing a, a cord, a cord or a heavy string, uh, probably a tablet woven, you know, very, you know, braided cord through some of the weave of the cloth of your great kilt. So cutting slits and then yeah. weaving it in and out if of it, the slits. If the loose, and it, well, given the weaves back then, if the weave was loose enough, you might even be able to just kind of like poke it through. Poke it through. Yeah. But the idea being that you don't necessarily want to lay down in the mud every time you want to put on your kilt. Uh, you want to have it laid out on your cot or whatever, and it's faster just to be able to tie the drawstring. I think Matt Newsom addressed this in an article okay. years ago. Um, I think the jury is still out because it's kind of a, it seems like a logical thing that people would do, but I'm not sure if there's the archaeological evidence to support it. Um, I would rather you do that so you have more choice of fabrics and uh, more flexibility in how you wear it than do the sewn-in cheater pleats because, I mean, cheater, the name kind of says it all. Um, and you're, you're definitely very limited then, whereas if you wanted to, I'm not chastising, but, but you know what I mean. It's kind of like... Um, <coughs> I the, do. Yeah, but see, there may be a time when you want to have the experience of putting on a great kilt with the with the pleating, with the folds, and doing that kind of that art form of doing it. And uh, the cheater plates sewn in are not going to allow you to do that. And let's remember, there are there's easily a half a dozen different ways you could wear a great kilt. It wasn't just pleating it with the belt like like Rocky was describing. There are other ways you would arrange it depending on the weather conditions and what you were doing. And if you have the cheater pleats in there, again, you're limited. If you do the drawstring thing, you can get any tartan you want, just because you're buying the yardage, basically, and you can change it up. So I'd I would say this based am I, on. Am I wrong? No, 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 okay, no. Okay. I'm, no, based on based on the location of the cheater pleats mm -hmm. and the permutations of what you would do with a great kilt to wear it, mm -hmm. then that wouldn't really like meaning pulling it up over your head or tying it or t uh, moving things around to make pockets and that kind of thing. That wouldn't be affected by the cheater pleats because they're just in the, the belted area anyway. Perhaps. That being said. Sometimes you didn't. No, yeah. I'm, I'm getting to the good part. Okay. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm getting to the agreement okay. with you part. Okay. Um, that being said, a great kilt was a utilitarian thing. It was a blanket. It would be your sleeping bag. It would be your cover. It would be whatever you need yeah. in the middle of nature. So it was an all-purpose blanket that you wore as a house. It's mm -hmm. like you're, you're a turtle on a shell. Um, so the drawstring thing, you could actually just, you know, remove the drawstring and yeah. just be left with little tiny slits. If you have a, the cheater pleats in, you couldn't roll it out as a blanket right. and, you know, curl up in it because it would be, you know, constricted in the cheater pleat area. Yep. That's what I'm getting at. I, I agree. It's hard to invite someone into your kilt with you if you have cheater pleats. That's true. Mm-hmm. But... Do they need to be in your... Never mind. Well, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, I, I, I recommended some form of cheater pleats for him for getting ready for the show. Yeah. But, you know, after the show, when you're inviting people back to the back to the, the dressing rooms and stuff, you know, for the after party, then you might want to have more flexibility with the kilt. And that's would, probably... Would you be in the kilt at that point? This is a family show now. Maybe it's an outdoor show. Maybe it's an outdoor venue. No, this is a family-friendly show. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Before we get too blue... Uh... Um... Yeah, that's that's Tell my take. Tell me more on about it. these musicians I would, and backstage <laughs> antics, please. Later. Yeah. Um, now, I would I would do a cheater pleat of your own using a drawstring so that you have the convenience for getting ready for a show. Or if it's just that being said, we're talking about historically, and we're talking about using it in in nature and that kind of thing. If you're just doing it for a metal show, then and that's your costume for the show, do it. Yeah. 
Who cares? If it's yeah. just the costume for the show, where you put it on before you go on stage, and at the end you take it off and you put on a pair of shorts, have at right. it. Yep. Yep. Cool. Very good. That was fun. Mr. Mac. I like that. Here, here's here's the the tough hard question of the oh, day. No. Oh, here's the blue. Is it blue? No, no. Okay. It's uh, it's Chris is asking, what are the origins of the grandma candy you send with the orders? And he's waiting patiently for his next strawberry candy fix. <coughs> is that Chris Gulick? No. Oh, it's okay. a different Chris. Um, the uh, one of the things that uh, we try to do as a company is there, there's a book by a, a guy named Tony Hesch. Uh, called I think it's called Delivering Happiness. He was the guy that uh, uh, was the CEO for the company Zappos. Um, and I read the book, and it was a very, very insightful way to look at customer interaction and really ooh and wow the customer. He, he, they have an experience like where they want to wow every single customer, whether they're upgrading them to overnight shipping, whether they're, you know, telling them, oh, your shoes didn't fit. Well, you know, I'm going to send you out a second pair, throw out the first pair, you know, and just kind of giving the customer the best experience that you can give that customer. So knowing that we just can't overnight ship things at our cost because we're not quite that big and we can't just, you know, give things away willy nilly. One of the things I was trying to instill in our company was different ways to really impress the customer, to make them loyal to our brand and want to shop with us. Little tiny things that we could do that wouldn't necessarily be a lot of money or cost no money. Returning emails within you know 12 hours or instantaneously. An order prints off, we have it out the door the same day. Those kind of things, just ways to impress the customer. Um, and I got the, the idea that, you know, we used to send you know a few business cards out with every order effectively asking the customers, hey, you know, tacitly asking the customers, when if somebody asks you where you get this, here, you can just hand them a card. So we're asking them to advertise for us, but we're not giving them anything other than the product that they bought. So as an incentive, as a way to ooh the customer and wow them a little bit or make them go, hmm, at least, we figured candy. Who, you know, who doesn't like candy? So we got the little old, you know, the little old grandma hard candies of, you know, the, the strawberries and butterscotch or whatever um, that everybody at least tolerates, if not likes. And we put a few of those in with every, you know, with a couple business cards and we hand those out to the customers. It's just a way to make the customer open up the package and go, huh, that's nice. They did something else nice for me that wasn't expected. I was going to, I was going to put it in less capitalistic terms. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I'm honest. No, I, no, it's cool. It's cool. But I think from from having worked in the sales area as long as I have, you know, when we have people come to the store in person, we say thank you. You know, we, we are genuine, yeah. genuinely grateful for the sale. You can't do that when you're shipping a package. So the candies are kind of like the little uh, abstract, you know, mini thanks. Well, you, know, you we, can. We appreciate the business. We, we do. We do write notes when yeah. we can. But yeah. <laughs> If it's, if it's crazy, it's the middle of the St. Patrick's Day rush, we won't write a handwritten note on every single packing slip. My calligraphy but, skills are horrible. <laughs> as, a, as a general rule, we do try to actually, you know, write a little thank you on every single packing slip that goes out. We do not do it every mm -hmm. single time, but we do do our best effort to actually do that. Amazon did that when they started as well. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that. Nope. Yep. Nope. They used to write thank you notes on every single packing slip that went out when they first started in business. What? That may be a bit difficult now. <laughs> it might be. But uh, I'm sure they have a robot for that somewhere. Exactly. Uh, but we found a way to sweeten the deal. 
Time to move on. Next question. <laughs> Me? Yep. Oh, oh, I get to do one? Yeah. Right on. Sweet. Okay. Okay. I was waiting. Get it? Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. So his puns were supposed to laugh at mine. No. <laughs> get it. I see how I see how it is. Um Okay, Michael Lingefeld. Uh he's a newbie and very basic question, classic newbie question. Should a belt and a sporn always be worn? And I'll go further and say, should they always be worn together or can they stand separately? Do you always have to have both? Okay. If you're a newbie. Or even um, if you're not a newbie. The, uh, I'll start with the most odd is, should a sporn be worn? Yes, the sporn is your pocket. Mm -hmm. It's where you keep your stuff, your keys, your smokes, your wallet, whatever. Um, so you do need to have a sporn on because a kilt, a traditional kilt does not have pockets. So I will take mine off if I'm running around the office, but I'm within effectively arm's reach of my sporn at all times. Um, a belt should, when, it, when you're wearing a day sporn, you can wear a belt with a day sporn, that's fine. If you are wearing a vest or you are wearing a dress sporn, then you would not wear a belt, uh, or it's ish. Um, a dress sporn, which is an oval-shaped sporn with a metal cantle on the top and a little ball on the top of the cantle. When you sit down, that is actually gonna knock into the actual belt buckle and either scratch the buckle or scratch the cantle on the top of the sporn or remove the, <laughs> knock the ball off. So generally when you're wearing a dress sporn, you're not wearing a belt. If you have on a vest, the vest comes down, you know, meets the top of the kilt and overlaps the top of the kilt by a couple inches. So generally, you're not going to see the buckle or you're only gonna see a tiny little bit of the buckle. So general convention is when you're wearing a vest, you don't wear a belt because you can't really see it anyway. That's one of the rules that I will break on occasion if I really like my belt buckle or I just put it on and forget about it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not the end of the world. You will not be strung up by your heels if you wear a vest and a belt buckle, but it's breaking with convention a little bit. Yep. I'll say occasionally I'll wear the belt with the vest if I think I might wind up opening the vest for a very casual look, you know, because yep. I am a hipster. Um, but the, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's just, it's going to be in your way and it's mostly cosmetic. I mean, I do like the snug feeling you get from wearing a kilt belt, but it's not necessary to hold the kilt up. So you can go without it. The sporn, yeah, it's a practical thing. There's very rare instances where you're going to want to wear a kilt without a sporn. Maybe if you're one of these guys who puts all your gear into a jacket or something. Um, but no, nah, I think the, the sporn is um, pretty much going to always be there. Um, it can also uh, be a handy thing for hiding unsightly bulges on some occasions. So there's something to be said for having the sporn in the front. Hey, I'm just calling it like it is. I'm just and being honest. Helping your kilt sit between your legs yep. when you sit down. Yep. When you go sit down. Yep. Absolutely. So it has it has some hidden advantages as well, as well as just being a focal point that helps kind of draw the outfit together. So yeah, hopefully Absolutely. that helps, right? Yeah. Okay. Should I do another one? One Mac? thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. One thing. We did not announce what tartans we are wearing today. Good point. Good point. And we did have we, we did have someone ask that. We will insert that okay. here. Okay. Inserting tartan here. Okay. You want to go first? Or you want me to do it? How about it? This is the Owen Glendur Memorial Tartan, affectionately known just as Glendur. And Owen Glendur is basically the Welsh uh, William Wallace, very famous freedom fighter from Wales. And uh, this is also one of our most BA uh, tartans you can get in polyviscose fabric. So it's great for lightweight, hot occasions like concerts and stuff. So this is a kilt I wear to shows. 
So I just love this tartan. Very cool tartan. It looks lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. I think it looks metal, but that's me. Lovely metal. Lovely metal. Yes. yes. Sterling. It is the daintiest of metal tartans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Reminds me of the... It was uh, a heck of a show today. Yes. Must it be the beer. Reminds me of the, uh, uh, if I was ever going to be in a band, we had to name the band Mildly Irate. That was going to be the name of my band. Okay. Yes. Okay. Never, never formed a band, but I had you, the name. You, I was we, ready. We've got the musicians. It's true. We can. We should totally do a band at some point. We've got the guys on staff. We have it. We have it. We have what? Two guitarists and a drummer, a piper. We got. We got everything. Hurdy gurdy. Yeah, and hurdy gurdy. So. I can play the jaw harp. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, man. Kazoo. Kazoo. Yes. Yeah. Kazoo. Yeah. That. Talk about metal instruments. Kazoo, mm -hmm. baby. Oh yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> that was a tangents aside. Tangent of a tangent. Tell us about your tartan. Yes. This is the Royal Stewart tartan. I, when I started uh, making kilts and wearing kilts, Royal Stewart was never one that ever appealed to me. It was too common and too red. Um, but as I kind of got into it, I started wearing you know, more bold, more bright tartans. And uh, recently, Martin Mills came out with a new collection of weathered tartans, and they did a weathered Royal Stewart tartan. And it was the only time I looked at Royal Stewart and I was like, now that I would wear. So I ended up getting that and making myself, or no, Mac, did you make me this kilt? Yeah. Yeah, Mac made me this kilt um, in the Royal Stewart weathered tartan, 13 ounce, love it. And it is lovely. Thank you. It, it is royally lovely. So he also he also wears Stuart, of course, because of his uh, love and adoration for his wife, who is a Stuart. Right? I, I've grown fond of her. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm trying to prop you up here, man. <laughs> no, I love digging holes. Okay. That's... All right. Fine. Uh, any more questions, Mac? Uh, actually, we just got one from uh, Henry. <laughs> Rocky's wife. <laughs> Rocky. Where do you think you're sleeping tonight? <laughs> uh, it's a question on spats. Okay. Uh, is this something that's that's accepted for uh, regular full dress attire, or is this a band or military look, and could this be accepted today? It's a band thing. It's yeah. totally a band thing. Or military. Um, yeah, band slash military. Um, a band going for a military look, to be to be even more precise. You know, not all pipe bands will wear spats, but um, it's definitely a military fashion. I've seen one or two people in the steampunk scene trying to put... Um, civilian spats in other words the low cut not the military tall white ones but the basically the short more tuxedo type gators. style spats no gators or something else different. Okay. Well, well there's gators also that's different um <clears throat> trying to wear those little gray ones that you'd see over dress shoes like in the 1920s right, or in right, the victorian right. age with a kilt i find it distracting um but uh yeah so for formal i would i would basically not not do that yeah and spats are going to cover up your gilly brogues and the nice Laces that you gotta tie up your legs. So since you're suffering for your art, why cover it up? Mm. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't recommend. Nope. All right, mm -hmm. Mr. Eric. Okay. All right. Speaking of gilly brogues and not spats, Robert Lynn is asking us: Should gillies be tied in the front of the leg, off to the side, or somewhere in between? <clears throat> ah, yes. The age-old. Gilly Brogue lace mm. question. Mm. The uh, I will preface this by saying, don't write me angry letters. <laughs> the there are multiple ways to tie Gilly Brogues. 
We did a, uh, a YouTube video on how to uh, tie Gillybrogues and the way that I tie them here in the shop and the way that most of the guys here tie them is basically at the front. You take the two laces, twist them around each other five times, three times, somewhere in there. Bring it around the back of the leg. I do a half knot, bring it back around the front, do another half knot about that far above the top of the shoe, and then tie your bunny ears, do a double knot, boom, done, out for the day. We've had people tie them on the side of the leg as well. That is just as fine. Ultimately, it is a minor detail, and that is not something that is going to really overly negatively affect the entire outfit. I actually had, uh, on one of our YouTube videos, we had uh, somebody screaming at me saying that, no, Gillybrogues must be tied on the side. How dare you, you dumb Americans. You have no idea what you're doing. And then another Scottish guy jumped on the same thing and said, no, I work in a higher shop in Scotland. Yes, you tie them at the front. We've had people you know, bark at us for telling people to twist it around five times. That is ridiculous. How dare you twist it five times? That is far excessive. Not five. No more than three. Five is right out. <laughs> the other people will twist it seven times. There's no magic number. It is a minuscule detail that will not overly negatively affect the entire outfit. Mm -hmm. You want to be comfortable. You want it to work for you. If you have calves that, you know, are go down lower on your leg or you have a hard time keeping them up, then maybe don't do the, the twisty thing at all. Maybe just do a half knot, bring it around back, do it around front so it's only that high above the shoe. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world to do things slightly differently. Ultimately, you're tying shoes. It's not much more than that. It's their shoes. It's not some sacred ritual that must be observed to the letter or the <laughs> heavens will open up and some demon will come out and destroy us all. You're tying your shoes. Not you specifically, but to all the people who comment about this kind of thing, gear down. Their shoes. There's much more important things to be worried about. Okay, so saith the Rocky. Exactly. I, I here ended the, here ended the lesson. Um, yeah, I, it's. Um, I think yeah, it, it, there's definitely room for variety with this. It's. I I will express my own opinion. I have seen people who tie the knot at the back. Now of that the ankle, looks horrible. And I think that looks kind of stupid. Um, but I've seen lots of people do it at the side. I've seen lots of people do it in the front. Um, those are really the only two variants I'm used to seeing. Um, but side meaning. Outside, not inside. Not yes, yes. Outside, not inside. Which is where your flashes should be, also, by the way. Not flashes should not be on the inside. Um, the, uh, but yeah, it's don't don't miss the forest for the trees. You know, there, there's so many details with Highland wear. Um, you're going for an overall gestalt of having the outfit look good. Um, and we are not in the military. This is not military regulations. You are not in the Royal Fusiliers. I don't think. Um, chances are you're a civilian probably in the United States if you're watching this and you're going out for a good evening or to a special event, you want to look generally good, but nobody's going to measure you with a you know micrometer to make sure that your uh, your laces are the proper height. So Exactly yeah. 24 millimeters above the yep. lowest knot. And it's basically, if, if you're new, try and, and, and try, try to do a good job putting the outfit together. If you've been doing this for a while, don't be so hard on yourself. Okay, you probably look fine. 
There's always room for improvement and there's always room for refining your personal style and your take on things as you go, but um, don't don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Okay? Just kind of dovetail yeah. on what you're saying here. Um, that's basically, yeah, that's what I would say about it. Yeah, and... It, but not I'll, at the back. If it's at the back, then, yeah, the ghost oh, of William, William Wallace is going to come down and smite you. You should be yeah. shot. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. Yeah. The, um, the other thing I'll kind of dovetail a little bit with is if you're, if you have these type of questions, join Facebook groups yep. specifically asking yep. about kilts. Yep. Um, we have a group called Kilts and Culture. Join that group and I would specify, look, I'm not just looking for a pat on the back and a you look fine. I want a traditional answer. Is this right. traditional? Should I be doing it this way? And that kind of thing, whether it's your ghillie brogues or any other part of the outfit. You know, from a traditional standpoint, is this generally done or not generally done? Because a lot of times in groups, you're gonna get positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. Um, our group, we try to stay a lot more positive, but you'll get the, uh, you know, everyone saying, you look great, you look great, you look fine, well done, great job, even if it's not. And then on the flip side of the coin, no matter how well you are dressed, you'll have somebody who's in there who knows better, who's gonna tell you how you're supposed to be doing it because anything except their exact perfect definition of what they were taught when they were two by their great-great-grandfather will just not fly. So it, there's A, take some of it with a grain of salt, but specifically ask from a traditional standpoint, not looking for validation, what should I be doing here? And if you're in our group, you're generally gonna get positive critiques. Yeah, I agree. May I make one other personal rant? Sure. Personal rant Pat, about- we're about all gonna rant today. One, one personal rant about Gilly Broga laces or more to the point, pretending you have on Gilly Brogues and Gilly Broga laces. Please don't do it. Um, I've recently seen a trend of people trying to wear regular shoes, even hiking boots or you know walking shoes or sneakers, not sneakers, but um, some kind of regular shoes, but because they're wearing a kilt and they want to look traditional, taking the laces of those shoes, and instead of tying them off normally, twisting them up the ankle and tying them in a Gillybrogue style. It is not aesthetic. It looks odd. So as gently as I can possibly say, my, again, personal rant, don't do it. Don't bother. You're gonna look fine with your shoes tied in the normal way if they're normal shoes. Gilly Brogues are a relatively modern invention as a throwback to a romanticized past. Um, and if you look at older pictures, again, going back to my favorite example of the Victorians, you don't necessarily see guys wearing Gilly Brogues. So if you're wearing regular shoes, do not try to pretend they're Gilly Brogues, okay? If your shoe has a tongue, don't lace the laces up your ankle. So endeth my rant. Just to annoy you. You've seen, even, you've seen what I'm talking about, right? Just, just to annoy you even further. Okay. <clears throat> There's a company in Scotland who sells kilt accessories wholesale. Okay. And they have a new style of shoe. Uh-oh. It is a wingtip with long laces so that you can wear it with your kilt or with yeah. a pair of jeans or a pair of pants and you can do both because people want to be able to have certain things, you know, again, neither fish nor fowl, but want something to cover both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. It looks garbage, yeah, but it weird. exists. I'll take that over gilliators. If, if you're yeah. not familiar, gilliators are crocs that look like gillybrugs, just in case you're wondering. Yeah. Um, I think we should lean into that. 
and just invent some laces which you kind of put on with Velcro. They're not actual tie they're not actually tying the shoes at all. They're kind of like those sticky bra those snap bracelets that kids wear. You have these snap bracelet Gillybrogue ties, and just the knot. They're pre-tied in bows, so you don't have to even do that. You just slap them on your ankle. Why? And you can why? wear them with any shoes you want. Now, see, you're wrong. Why even go that far? Sharpie and a pair of white hose. <laughs> you draw the laces right on. They won't come untied. They won't fall down. Done. That's Problem solved, my friend. You don't even need flashes. You're right. Just you're right. red Sharpie down the side. You're right. Okay. You're right. It's kind of meta. It's kind of virtual. Oh, please shoot me. It's, it's if that ever happens, <laughs> shoot me. I'm, I'm done. I quit Highlandware. I am, if that I am doing that for the Christmas party. Uh, this year. I'm totally. That is it. the that is the Highlandware equivalent of an ugly sweater party. Yeah, right there. Ugly kill party. Or, or the T-shirt with a tuxedo printed yeah. on, on the T-shirt. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Or those kilt towels that we happen to sell. Those well, are, that's those are meant. That's to be fun shtick for the pool versus. Yeah. Anyway, no. okay. there you go. Done. Any more questions, Mac? <laughs> None from you? Okay. We scared them all away. Yeah, we, we suddenly have a drop in viewership. Well, no, it's amazing. They're concerned about uh, shoe demons now. Shoe demons. <laughs> <laughs> if you have art of the ancient Celtic shoe demon, send it to me. Yes. I want to see your shoe demons. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, Cameron was asking us... What is the best out-of-the-blue compliment you've ever received while out and about in a kilt? He says he recently got a, my, my, nice knees from an elder lady. And he's wondering what our, what our, uh... She's from the South, apparently. Well, my, my, sounds so Southern to me, yeah. but I don't know. I had a boss who talked like that. Okay. Um, out-of-the-blue comment. Nicest out-of-the-blue comment. I'd expand to say maybe favorite comment, but... None really come to mind as specific okay. compliments. Um, when you're wearing a kilt, without this is not trying to sound cocky. When you're wearing a kilt, you're gonna get compliments on a regular basis, no matter where you go, because mm -hmm. it's unusual. Um, you'll also get some stares, but generally, it's. I'd say this. I don't have a particular compliment that I can that you know comes to mind. Okay. But it's the overall excitement of the person giving the comment. Okay. So yeah, yeah. The the excitement level will range from hey nice kill to oh my god you have a kill on that is so awesome I I can't believe it you've made my entire day you've right. made my life you've right. worn a kill ah and that is much more positive reinforcement that makes more of an impact more of a mark on me yeah having somebody that excited that I wore a kilt, or, or the other the other compliment, not a specific phrase that I remember, but the type of compliment is, oh my god, that's it, I'm getting the kilt. That looks so awesome. I gotta do it, man. You look yeah. freaking great in that. Yep. I have to do it too. I can't. You, that takes guts, man. You got it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That would be another type of compliment that I would, you know, that does stick in my mind. That that means more to me as an individual hearing that coming from somebody else than. Very nice kilt, but we get that regular too, and that's nice as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I really can't top that. I think that's that's it. It's basically it's about the enthusiasm of the person. I mean, I can't remember the exact words of people uh, who have complimented me on my kilt, but definitely the, the best ones are always the the you know, wow, you just made my day, man. You know, and and if it's a dude, then it's like you know, that rocks, you know, and and I made his day. 
better. Uh, if it's a lady, then same thing, only, you know, different emphasis maybe, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but that, that's kind of the cool part is like, you know, you're getting a compliment, but it's obviously it's making them happy. They're giving you the compliment because you made them happy and that's awesome. So yeah, kilts bring people together. Oh, this um, a, a garment of clothing. What other garment of clothing outside of a kilt? I challenge anyone to answer this would incite that kind of comment, incite that kind of joy in another human outside of like a clown costume. If you love clowns, it's like, like it, I don't know how many people love clowns anymore. They're kind of creepy, but oh my god, the um, nothing else really elicits that level of enthusiasm from other people. Yeah, in my experience, outside yeah. of a kilt. Now I've had some. I've had some very nice come ons when wearing a kilt. Um, I've had some occasions where that's gone a little too far, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, Not from you, from them. From them, yes. Where you know, invading personal space, kind of a thing, you know. Yes, but, that uh, will happen as well. Yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, a there's... kilt is not a license to check. Mm -hmm. I think in, in terms of like just uh, the, the the best out of the blue one, it's actually not even verbal for me. I can remember times where I've walked in someplace and somebody was just like gobsmacked because some usually a woman, you know, pretty much. Yeah, actually, always a woman. I walk into a store and there's like, that's the best. <laughs> just like. <gasps> Whoa, you know, like dropping the groceries kind of thing. That's that's probably the best out of the blue. I've had... The surprise factor. The I'll say, okay, I'll go land, random left field. When we were first in Audubon, mm -hmm. the shop was in Audubon, I used, to, I used to smoke, so I'd go outside and take smoke breaks or whatever, and I caused an accident <laughs> from people staring at me, and I heard... Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's It was a bad intersection anyway, oh, but okay. the... <laughs> But it works now. There, there was people, lady staring at me, ran into the car in front of her at the intersection. Spectacular. Oh, man. Yes. Oh, man. Wow. I don't think you've ever told me that story before. Yep. Yep. That's yep. That I forgot harsh. it until we started talking about this. I'm like, huh? Oh, wait. That's awesome and yep. horrible at the same time. Yeah. Wow. The power okay. of the kill. The power of the kill. Use your power for good. Yes. It can kill people. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't caused one going across the Wawa every day. That's true. We do get a lot of honks when we walk across the street yeah, to Wawa. Yeah, and we, and we got a lot of people who stop traffic so we can cross. Yes. Just, they're just like, go, go, you guys are awesome. You know, because they're, and they're holding up a whole line of traffic. We're like ducklings. Them. Yeah, we are. We're like tilted <laughs> ducklings going across to the convenience store across the street to get our lunch. But, uh, yeah, that's that's amusing. <laughs> okay. We are obviously punchy. I, I, I blame the, the beer again. Not enough beer, though. Any Eric, other questions? Eric Cameron did say he is on, he's is watching. Hey, Kirk. Uh, he, he did say that you were spot on, it was a southern lady. So you get, you get, a, you get a double, you get two stickers for today. Well, bless her heart. In a nice way, not, not the actual way. <laughs> Very good. <coughs> my, my, nice knees. All right, we got time for a few more. You got any coming in, Mac? Okay. All right. I think we talked about the tweed thing. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I did that. Okay, Mario was asking us, uh, when and where is it okay to forego the vest and just wear the Argyle jacket? Can, can you do that with other styles of jackets, for that matter? Um, the, I'd say... Prince Charlie, no. Generally, you wear a, 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 a vest with a Prince Charlie. You don't wear just the Prince Charlie by itself. Mm -hmm. um, an Argyle jacket, you can wear 
with the vest or you can wear it without a vest. It's You can do either or. It's generally a five button vest, not a three button. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically, yeah. It, um, I think uh, an Argyle jacket without a vest looks more businesslike, if you will. You'll see, like, uh, for instance, judges at a piping competition. Very often they'll, they'll have the necktie and just the jacket on and not the vest. It's that kind of a thing um, where you want to look like you're official, like you're in your, your business like I'm going to be business like today kind spiffy. of spiffy. Yeah. But but not uh, not Overly formal spiffy. formal. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like it's 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 more of a that's how I equate it at least. It On feels the scale like a, of spiffy, it's a three, not a seven. Yeah, the spiffyometer. Yeah, spiff spiffometer. The spiffometer. Yes, no one. Um, and that, that extends definitely to tweeds or other fabric jackets that are on the Argyle cut, for, for lack of a better term. The, yeah. um, so any kind of a worsted jacket that you're wearing, you could wear it without the vest, you're just gonna look more business-like than formal evening-like. Or Yeah, the, the other thing I would point out is that when you're wearing, in Highland wear, when you're wearing an Argyle jacket or a tweed jacket with no vest, you do not, or, or with a vest, doesn't matter, you do not button the jacket, you leave it open. Yeah. There is a button there, you can physically button it, but generally, you do not button it. Like right. a, like your Saxon jacket, when you're standing, you button it, and then when you go to sit, you unbutton it and you sit down. That's not the case with Highland Wear. You leave it unbuttoned, mm -hmm. period. Personal recommendation, I would say if you do that, you might want to consider investing in a tie bar or a tie tack, um, just because it looks nice keeping the tie kind of centered. centered and just under control, even while the opening of the jacket is kind of moving around, but the entire tie is visible. Um, but yeah, and uh, I think Mario knows about the keeping the jacket open. I know Mario, so I think, yeah. he knew, I think he's on it. He did have a follow-up question, which was basically, um, he's planning on wearing an Argyle without a vest. It's gonna happen. Um, how much should he be concerned about the color of the shirt or the tie colors so he's avoiding the cringe factor? You know, how far do you go with shirt color and tie color when you're wearing a tartan kilt? Um, as far as you want. Americans are, we're more concerned about the matchy-matchy thing than He's over Canadian, in Scotland. North think. Americans. <laughs> That's what I meant okay. to say. North Americans. Um, it's, the, my general rule of thumb is what I like to do. It's not, it's not a hard and fast, this is not Highland wear, this is just my own personal take on it, is I match the color of the tie and or my flashes, if I'm wearing solid color flashes, to a minor color in the kilt to kind of draw that color out. So on this kilt um, that I'm wearing now, there's a gold kind of stripe on there. I'd wear, if I was gonna be wearing a necktie, I'd be wearing a gold necktie and maybe gold flashes, hmm. and it would kind of okay. draw your eye to the gold in the kilt. Alternatively, you can wear a, you know, a red necktie with a red kilt or a bottle green necktie with a bottle green kilt. Although it, when it's a major color in the kilt, it tends to look a bit much yeah. um, because it's so much in the kilt already. Mm -hmm. Black is always a safe but not really fun option. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or the other thing you could do is a club tie, which is a like angular stripes um, that in in the UK would signify your school, your club that you're in. Not very traditional. Even yeah. if you're, even if it's not club colors or school colors, it's still a very traditional style. Yeah. Um, I would say you can definitely go too far. Um, I would avoid brightly colored shirts, like a pink shirt or a you know, yellows or, or some, you know, it just, or greens, just, I would be careful with that. Um, you're gonna have to experiment a little bit. You know, just lay the outfit out on the bed, you know, put the tie down on the shirt with the kilt, take a look at it. If you're not sure, 
go take your shower, you know, go shave, come back and look at it after a couple of minutes and see what you think then, just to be sure. Um, the one thing I absolutely would not do, and again, this is my personal preference, um, if you have a tartan tie, do not wear a tartan tie without a vest. Because you got this tartan going from here down to here, and then the kilt, it just looks odd, at least in my estimation. It's not wrong, it's not against rules or anything, um, but it just looks a, like little, you're too a hard. little weird. It just looks, looks a little weird. The, the tartan tie looks much better if you have some separation, some blank space of a vest or a sweater between it and the kilt. Um, other than that, um, also a very shiny silk tie. You might find it looks a little strange with a, uh, a kilt because the colors in the kilt are, you know, it's wool, so it has a different... Wool, yeah. Yeah, worsted wool has a different effect with the light um, than the silk. And so having a shiny tie with this plaid below... Um, Matted kind of material. Yeah, it's going to look a little strange. So lean towards um, like linen, nylon, uh, or best wool. of all wool, like we sell, uh, ties, as opposed to um, a shiny silk fashion tie. Or, or satin. I definitely wouldn't do satin. Yeah. And I'd, I'd say this. In general, there's a reason why when you walk into Brooks Brothers or any men's store, light blue and white are the vast majority of the shirt colors that you see there. Yeah. It's they will match pretty much anything. Bl uh, white, obviously. Blue is, the light blue is a very forgiving kind of color. Blue is more forgiving than green. So if you're wearing yeah. a modern color kilt or an ancient color kilt with either navy blue or a, a light pastel-y blue, that blue dress shirt is going to look fine with either of them. So when it comes to shirt colors with kilts, I'd say for me, I generally stick with white or light blue or a... Uh, 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 gingham or a tattersall shirt or something like that again to pick up some of the colors that are in the kilt in the shirt that's a whole nother level of badass exper exper no. yes <laughs> but experience and caution you want to exercise yeah if you're doing it for the first time yeah so yeah i always big i'm a big proponent of laying out an outfit um like on a bed or something and watching how it looks in different light like, is it going to look okay to you in the dark when you're bleary-eyed without your coffee? And then you come back and the sun's shining through the window and all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, what was I thinking? Um, you know, just yeah, take your time when you're getting dressed. Yep. So, exactly. Cool. We'll do two more. Okay. Mac, do you have any or no? Yeah, I've, I've got one here. Uh, okay. Just came in. Uh, Sean's asking, what kind of make uh, or material of kilt do you recommend for a stockier person? Make or or material? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to assume okay. it's, he's meaning like a particular type of kilt, whether okay. it be a casual, semi-tread, right. five-yard, whatever, and then, or what type of material would you recommend? Okay. Sure. Um, your, your body shape, frankly speaking, has little to nothing to do with the type of kilt that we would recommend, because we can make, whether you're a huge guy, 72-inch waist, or whether you're a skinny rail with a 28-inch waist, we can make you look good in a kilt. A kilt is a very, very flattering garment, especially on bigger guys, um, because it goes around the widest part of you. If you think of yourself kind of as an egg shape, the kilt is worn just above the widest part of the egg, and then it hangs flat down from there. So you're kind of covering up the curve that is the lower part of your belly. So whether it's a traditional eight yard wool kilt or whether it's a five yard wool kilt or a casual kilt, it doesn't really matter. It's more the cut of the kilt, how high you're wearing it and what you're putting together with it more than 
the fabric choice or the style of kilt. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Or? Yeah, mostly. I would, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, you might be using the term stocky as code for you feel kind of like you're heavy. Um, and in which case, everything Rocky just said makes perfect sense. Um, more to the comfort factor would be um, you might decide that a heavier kilt feels a little heavy on you, especially if you're not used to wearing them. Um, or you might be concerned about heat. By far one of our best selling models, and I'm speaking from our experience with our company, I can't speak to other manufacturers. Um, our five yard kilt is very popular because it's a nice middle of the road. It's not too heavy. It's not too light. It's good still balanced front and yeah, back. Yeah, it's a good yep. balance. It's still made from uh, wool from Scotland. So you have the full range of choices of tartans and fabrics. Um, it's a good, that's probably for anybody really, not just anybody who's worried about their body shape. Um, I would recommend that as a first time kilt. Um, the alternative would be if you're in a very, very hot environment or if you're planning on going hiking or something, uh, being outside in the blazing sun a lot, then you might want to consider a, a, a PV kilt. Yeah, because you can wash it and throw it in the washing machine. Yeah, and it's, 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 a, little, it's a, light, a little lighter and breezier, but, but for yeah. the most part, I think a five-yard wool is going to be your best bang for your buck yeah. um, and a good way to get something that you're really happy with in terms of how the tartan looks and also is still fit for your body shape. <clears throat> and remember, a kilt is custom-made for your body. Well, the ones that we make it are custom-made for your body. It should yeah. be. So we're going to make it to your exact body dimensions, and it's going to fit you perfectly. The And... To Eric's point about the heat thing, you have a lot of air conditioning in a kilt. It's open on the bottom. It's not like pants where your legs are trapped in fabric tubes and then as you sweat, that hot air is trapped in there. In a kilt, there's a breeze. So you're, the heat isn't as much of a factor in a kilt, whether it's a five yard kilt or an eight yard kilt. There's a difference, but it's a small degree of difference versus if you're wearing, you know, sweatpants in the middle of summer in August, you know, you're going to be warmer in that than an eight-yard, 16-ounce kilt. Yeah. I'll take it in one other direction. If you mean a, a traditional versus a utility kilt, a contemporary kilt, you're going to look better in a custom traditional kilt. Utility kilts tend to be worn on the hips. Uh, they have a narrow waistband. Um, they tend to, you get more of a Dunlop disease effect with a utility kilt than you do with a traditional kilt, which is riding higher up on your torso, even like a couple of inches or an inch above your navel. So it's going to be more flattering than a utility kilt is, just by nature of their design. So that would be the other way I'd think about it. Absolutely. Okay. So one Mr. more Eric. from you or one more from me? From me. Do you have any more from the audience? Well, uh, there's been a lot of questions on how construction is going and what is what how things are working with that. So I sure. didn't know if you wanted to give a brief, uh, sure. brief rundown of sure. what's going on. The uh, Right now, we're, for those that don't know, USA Kilt's world headquarters um, <laughs> is doubling in size. We, have a, we had a 6,000 square foot store um, and production area and warehouse, and we put on a second story. So now we are going to have a slightly bigger store, a bigger warehouse, offices upstairs. We're going to have a new television studio, um, and we're also going to have a much increased uh, uh, production area and stuff like that, mm -hmm. an elevator and all kinds of stuff. Um, so anyway, so right now the roof was off, new roof is on. Yep. Um, we're currently basically the upstairs is a big empty ice skating rink. It's a, bit, it's a big hallway, um, right. and we're climbing up ladders to get to the second story. But um, realistically, around the beginning of August, 
2019, all the renovations should be done. The store is open, shipping is being done, the website's open and operational. We're doing that throughout the construction process. It's been fun sewing kilts while they're jackhammering uh. an elevator pit right next to you, but we're making do. Uh -huh. um, so if you have if you have concrete dust on a skin do that comes out to you, sorry about that. That's a special um, edition. That's a collector's item. Exactly. That is highly coveted USA kilts concrete dust, mind you. <laughs> um, but the uh, yeah, the renovations coming along nicely. So. Yeah, we're going to keep everybody updated. Store will remain open during all this. Um, so hopefully everything keeps going as as well yeah. as it's been going so far. Yeah, Knock it's, on wood. It's, it's, it's super cool to watch. Um, and we will have video footage for you in the fullness of time where we get to show off the process for those who, oh, yeah. who care. The time lapse um, We stuff, did a time lapse neat. and things like that. Um, Adam over here has been uh, working his butt off, getting us some good photography. Um, they're at the point now where basically the uh, the framing is on the outside is pretty much done. Everything is wrapped in Tyvek. So next steps are going to be getting the final layers of the roof on. And of course they're framing out the inside now so that we don't just have the empty space up, upstairs, but we have the beginnings of the new offices and new production area. Um, lots of new equipment that's going to go in, so it's uh, more comfortable. Uh, and and more efficient for the kilt makers too. Yeah, and vacuum system and everything. It's gonna be absolutely. Nods, yeah, nods happy. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, Mac is happy and nodding. Yeah, very good. All right, we'll do one more. One, one more. One okay. more. Okay, cool. I'll try and make it interesting. If I can, if I can. Let's see. Drum roll. Um, 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 well, we're um, out of time now, so. <laughs> <laughs> Never no out pressure. of time. Never out of time. Kilts are timeless. Um, Carla uh, asked us a while back, actually, um, how do you, especially if you're not a kilt wearer yourself, you know, how does a non-kilt wearer differentiate between a formal outfit, a traditional outfit, an informal outfit, you know, how, how do you tell what level of formality or what level of tradition someone is representing when you see them in a kilt? What are the what are the hallmarks of each of the styles? The I I would I would say this. Just draw the exact same parallel to anyone else you'd see in Saxon wear. If the guy has on a t-shirt and sneakers, he's obviously the most formal he could possibly be. Um, no, he's obviously casual. Um, if the guy has on a bow tie and a black jacket and looks, you know, fancy, then he's very traditional and he's, you know, he's going to a black tie event. Um, smart day wear, meaning like a tweed jacket and vest, you know, kilt hose, you know, a nice, a, a button down shirt or, you know, a necktie and that kind of thing, or even, you know, collar open, but a button down shirt. That's again, smart day wear. Just kind of, you know, draw the same parallels you would if a guy was wearing a suit, versus a guy who's wearing a tux, versus a guy who's wearing a pair of cargo shorts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, classic uh, assumption some people make when they see somebody in a kilt for the first time, just out at random, is that they're a bagpiper, or they're uh, uh, a bagpiper, or maybe they're a bagpiper. Um, or they're or under, maybe they're Scottish. Or maybe they're Scottish. Or maybe they're a bagpiper. Yeah, yeah. Or a so, Scottish bagpiper. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, don't assume that somebody is in a performance capacity when they're wearing the kilt. Um, that's been a common thing in America for years, but it's changing. Uh, we have more and more people wearing kilts now than any other time in history in this country. 
and uh, for all kinds of occasions. So, um, yeah, just generally look at the outfit, appreciate it, and figure they're just doing their thing and uh, compliment them. Compliment them and don't cause an accident by running into the car in front of you. Yeah, yeah, usually a good plan. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, boys and girls. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we do this every month, so check back uh, with our Facebook page, check back with the YouTube channel, and until next time, Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.